The Origins Podcast is now a part of the Origins Project Foundation. Please consider supporting the podcast and the foundation by going to www.originsprojectfoundation.org. Hello, and welcome to the Origins Podcast with Lawrence Krauss. I'm Lawrence Krauss sitting here at home because of the pandemic. The episode is, nevertheless, with the incomparable Stephen Fry. We recorded this episode before the pandemic, and that's interesting in itself because several of the topics we talked about now take on a new significance. Even though it was relatively recently, it was before the pandemic, before Black Lives Matter, before George Floyd. And I think with that new historical perspective, some of the things we talked about will take on a different significance. But that's just a small the small tip of, of the cosmic iceberg that is the intellect and mind of, of, of Stephen Fry. It's hard to adequately describe him. He's a, he's a writer, an actor, a humorist, a humanist, an intellectual, a historian, a consummate storyteller, a former criminal, as it turns out, and also a polymath, I guess, is the best way to say it. He is enjoyable to talk to on almost any subject, and we covered so many subjects ranging from philosophy in ancient Greek to empiricism and technology and knowledge itself, computers, AI, physics envy, language, and the excitement about language, which he which he clearly manifests so strongly. The nature of teaching, disruption, shame, that's just a small subset of the, of the things we talked about. And what's great is I could listen to Stephen Fry talk about anything, not just the exciting ideas we talked about, I could listen to him read the phone book for two hours and I'd be mesmerized. And the whole world is luckier for the fact that we're able to hear him in different ways, as are several major authors. For example, J.K. Rowling is extremely lucky that Stephen Fry read the entire Harry Potter series for audiobooks. And that's another reason to listen to them, even if you've read them. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, while he may be dead, is nevertheless very lucky that Stephen read the entire opus of Sherlock Holmes stories for audiobooks. And I know Stephen reads regularly for audiobooks because it's hard to imagine a voice you'd like to listen to more. I will cherish this episode as I cherish my friendship with Stephen. And I hope you will too. I think you'll find it one of the most exciting episodes we've done. So with no further ado, here's Stephen Fry. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for taking time out to talk to me. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a great pleasure to have you here. You're very sweet. We'll be better decide till the end. Yeah, well, okay. it's been at the pleasure. moment it is. In any case, <laughs> and you know, it's an origins podcast, so I usually like to start with people's origins. Uh, but, but I thought I'd reverse that a little bit because you've written three autobiographies, so people may <laughs> know more about your your, your origins. Then, then they may... Uh, then they need to. Well, no, 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 no. It's, it's fascinating. They're all fascinating. But they may not know the, the, the breadth of the man you are. And I, wa- I want to talk about... We'll get to your origins in a sense, but I want to talk about how it led to growing into the man you are, which is, as I would say, in my definition of you, is the, one of the loveliest, wittiest, most likable people I know. So, But in addition to that, you are and have been many things. A comedian, an actor... A film, actors in films and theater and radio, and a director, a quiz show host, a playwright, 
a documentarian with a variety of documentaries from from manic depression to gadgets, which I which yeah. I want to get to, and uh, a writer of many things, many columns for newspapers, four novels, three autobiographies, two Greek myth books, and a book on appreciating poetry, at least of the ones I know, and an amazing reader, not just a reader personally, but professionally, the reader of all the Harry Potter books, and <laughs> the entire Sherlock Holmes uh, works. And Those are the ones I've read out loud. I have yeah. read more books yeah. than that to myself. <laughs> I just thought I should point that Good, out. Good, yes, read out loud. <laughs> And oh, I should also say a writer of technology columns, which I also want to talk about. And finally, a university rector, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever that is. That's probably the least impressive of all of the, all of the things. But l- what I will do throughout this is is quote you because I love your words. <laughs> and and in fact, I I will I want to read a quote from you about your writing just so I can make it clear why I love him. If a thing can be said in ten words, I may be relied upon to take a hundred to say it. <laughs> I ought to apologize for that. I ought to go back and ruthlessly prune and pare and extirpate excess growth, but I will not. I like words. Strike that. I love words. And while I am fond of the condensed and economical use of them in poetry and song lyrics and Twitter, in good journalism and advertising, I love the luxuriant profusion and mad scatter of them too. After all, as you will already have noticed, I am the kind of person who writes things like, I shall append a superscribed obelisk thus... If my manner of writing is the self-indulgence that has your grinding in your teeth, then I'm sorry, but I'm too old a dog to be taught to bark new tunes. And and <laughs> and it, as I say, I just love to listen to it. I love to listen to it more when you do it. But but um, in in your book, one of uh, your first book, you begin with boarding school. You mm-hmm. begin with a, a story about going going on the train to boarding school, <laughs> and so I want to ask, of course, and and you describe boarding school, especially for. For, for Americans, I think, who aren't, don't realize that, that what a tradition that is, perhaps, in, in the UK. But I'm wondering to what extent you chose, why you chose to begin there, and if that related importantly to the man that you are now. It's an interesting question. We owe J.K. Rowling an, an enormous debt uh, because she has explained the nature of yeah. English boarding schools to the world, who are now more familiar with the idea mm-hmm. of a train that takes you to this usually uh, old hall, castle, strange buildings, cloisters and other such things with houses. You know, everyone's familiar with Hufflepuff and Gryffindor nowadays. And uh, that's exactly what I was having to explain to people because only slightly under 7% of British people go to such institutions, though unfortunately they have an enormous reach and influence, as we can tell by looking at our political cabinet these days. And... Yes, I began it. I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. I suppose my life didn't begin then, but it's a kind of tradition when, you know, surveying a life and looking at a, a sentimental education, as, uh, as you might put it, uh, that that's when you first are thrown on your own. You're, you're, you're let go of the apron strings of, of Mama, and there you are in this strange new world. And I don't want to overstate it as being a peculiar punishment or an oddity. It may be odd to other people, but of course, you only have to think a little to realise that uh, every other boy in that school was in the same position as me. And Mm -hmm. all the children I knew, which is a a sad reflection on the lack of diversity of my (laughs) circle of acquaintance when I was small, but it's, you know, lamentable but true. Uh, All the boys I knew and girls I knew uh, in growing up in Norfolk in the countryside in England uh, were from certain kind of class, if you like, and they tended to go away to school too. The boys more than the girls. That's a Mm -hmm. terrible thing, but it was considered that girls could, you know, all they had to learn was cooking and then typing and then marrying. (laughs) Uh, It's an awful thing, but... 
We've got over that a bit, I fear. Yeah. I mean, no, no, I don't fear. I mean, I, 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 I am proud and pleased to say. Yeah. Um, but yes, that's that's it's a tradition in literature and in confessional literature and autobiography, isn't it? To start with the our hero or anti-hero uh, stoutly uh, negotiating his first few days in the strange world of a, of a boarding school and. Uh, Discovering himself. Discovering himself. I think yeah. that when I, when mm. the sense that I get from that is it was it was a key. It, that's where you discover yourself. Absolutely right. Um, the f- I think it's a kind of negative thing at first. You realise how inadequate you are. Um, there are all the other boys around you. They're robustious and they're boisterous, and they're strong, and they seem to have all kinds of things in common. And you feel an outsider. Later on, you realise that's how everybody feels, mm-hmm. of course. But you you feel especially, if not cursed, slightly sort of doom-laden and outcast. And I particularly felt this because I have no skill whatsoever when it comes to physicality. I can't really throw or catch a ball. Certainly couldn't then. Um, I can't really run in a straight line or collide with a tree or a lamppost. <laughs> can't sing or dance, uh, play a musical instrument to any proficient or, you know, listenable to level. And I can't draw or paint. So I really felt like, well, what am I? I'm nothing. But I discovered that language was something I instinctively and always adored and venerated and was surprised to discover that others didn't. They took it for granted or they merely thought it was a, an exchange system. It was just a way of asking someone to pass the sugar or, or to shut up or, or, you know, the really, really sort of basic communication device rather than something that was like paint or music, uh, an art form, something that could beguile and seduce and delight and, and, and fill, fill the mind with images and pictures that weren't there before and uh, enliven and kindle and delight. So um, that's what I buried myself in, both my own production of ridiculous little compositions, reading in the mm. dormitory at night, yeah. um, telling stories in the dormitory at night, making them up. So, oh, Stephen, tell a story, tell a ghost story. You know, to others sort of as well. Yes, yeah. to, oh, that's what I mean, in the dormitory, yeah. they were yeah. lying there. There were communal dormitories. You, you, you didn't share them with one yeah. person. Yeah. You know. sure. They were named after trees, I remember. There was elm and pine and beech and sycamore, I think. Do you remember which you were in? I, I, well, you changed. <laughs> yeah. You know, my first term I was in sycamore, I remember. And then by the sort of set of last year, in a slightly smaller, more grown-up one. But, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it became, as it were, my th- the thing that held me together was my love of language and of stories and of other languages too. I, I fell in love with doing Latin and Greek, well, then. I want to talk about Latin mm. and Greek. I was impressed uh, with a statement in the book that you read well at three and uh, and were writing by four. And mm. of course, you never learned your math tables. I was going to give you a quiz, but I decided not to do it. It'd <laughs> be embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, so so you, the love of language began well, even I mean, yes, very early. It really did. And, I mean, and was it internal or in, in, it's, was, it's inexplicable? I mean, that's to say uh, th- there aren't any what you might call Aristotelian necessary and sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- you know. Uh, explanations for it because I have a brother who's 18 months older uh-huh. and he's very bright, very wonderful, but he doesn't have the same passion or instinct for language, I think he'd be the first to admit. Um, and I have a sister, d- ditto, but they have many talents. And um, my father was, he died Saturday this year, but he was extraordinarily talented physicist and um, musician, uh, mathematician, and he could turn his hand to anything, engineer and so on. My mother is a historian. Uh, she read history uh, here in London, where we're speaking from at the moment. 
And uh, she told me stories from the very beginning, and we had a very special bond to do with that. I think she picked up on me a delight in the stories and poems she'd read to me from a very early age. And I just responded to them. Uh, it, it, it seems to be something that was in my brain and in the way that music might have been for someone else, I guess. And so, yeah, I was wondering if you, uh, your mother was the one in some sense. I mean, it's hard to know with chicken and egg whether mm. her, her reading to you was done because you responded so well or vice versa. Exactly <laughs> right. That, that's why it's so hard to explain to Gloss. Um, but, but it saved me. Uh, in the end, in, in all kinds of ways, yes. because the rest of my life was very much a, t a turmoil. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it saved you. Well, well, it saved you in the long run. You, if one was predicting your trajectory at uh, later on in boarding school, it might not have been where you are oh, now. Indeed. You were expelled at least twice. That mm. I um, am I right? Just twice? yes, at least twice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I mean the other ones were just running away or yeah. saying, you know, go. You know, we don't think you should come back. Sort of good <laughs> comments. Yeah. Yes, I. I um, Along with the charm and usefulness of a linguistic facility here and there, and certainly, a, m perhaps most importantly for uh, academic uh, studies, a terrific memory. And mm. just always had that. Yeah, oh, that's stick. obvious when, yeah. Yeah, it's when I, uh, one meets you. Incredibly good fortune. And I, I realize that. I want, it's because you don't, I don't work at it. And, and I know some people do struggle to remember things and they. Are very annoyed at the fact that I don't seem to, and that's always been the case. So with exams, I could just regurgitate quite happily without really thinking, and, and things just lodged. Uh -huh. um, and it, it's a, I say, and I, I of course it's a, just a fancy uh, analog uh, analogy, but it's you meet a fat person, it's because they're greedy, and the food stays inside them, and <laughs> and you meet someone who 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 has a good memory, and and the knowledge stays inside them. So I'm sort of fat. <laughs> Epistemologically, if that makes any sense. Uh, um, but but in terms of emotions, I was, I don't know how to describe it, uh, a passionate, sensual child, uh, f full of fear, wonder, love, doubt. Um, and, and as I developed uh, up into my 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I suppose it became apparent to me that, that I had a, uh, you know, my... The way I wanted to express my love was was a forbidden one. I, in other words, I was aware that I was going up what we would now say gay, or yeah. whatever, but um, and that was very hard. Although there's a tradition in English private <laughs> schools of all kinds of fiddling about, which I relished and and, and took great pleasure in. Um, sex is a is a, a, a playground, but love is forbidden. Yeah. Love is taboo. Love is scary. And I've always felt this about um, homophobia, certainly in the in the sort of political sphere and the religious sphere, that uh, they don't, you know, they pretend to be disgusted by the physical act, but that's obvious nonsense because, yes. you know, if, if they single out anal sex, for mm. example, well, we all know how many more hom uh, heterosexual relationships there are than, than homosexual, <laughs> and just statistically, most <laughs> anal sex in the world that's going on is between men and women, whether one likes it or not. Yes. So if that's, your, if that's really your objection, yeah. then you have to... You have to look at the um, the pornographical sites that begin with you know a Asian anal <laughs> sluts or whatever and all these horrific things. Um, so really, what what they're afraid of is love, and, yeah. and rightly because love is a is a it's violent and extraordinary force in, yeah. in, in in life. Although it's 
not usually well. I mean, it's not necessarily negative, and that's no. what's so, and that's what's so surprising. But it should frighten, and yeah. it should you know because it is so strong, so okay. powerful. And you know, when you're a child, you look at a movie and you think, oh, why are they stopping for the kissing? <laughs> and what's with this? You really, you think everything is about love. It's so annoying, you know. And then suddenly you get it, and you realize that everything is about love. Everything spins down. I, to- I was re- I mean, I remember reading the passages about the, your first love and it, the, mm. the power of that. Was yeah. a- yes, there's nothing like it, is there? And you feel, I felt aware, I think because I'd read so many books, mm. I, I, I knew I'd grow slightly away from it. I'd, I'd become cynicized. I'd become a little bit, uh, you know, just bla- not blasé exactly, but that that fierce adolescent fire of that first love would never quite... As the Pope Browning put it, can you ever hope to recapture that yeah. first fine, careless rapture? Yeah. And and I and I and I hated my future self for betraying. <laughs> you know, I, I felt that adolescence is a republic, and it's yeah. it's the only one that matters, and that I would grow into something else, and that I would. I, I you know, I just I seem to remember a, a, a letter you wrote to yourself That's later right. on, telling I, you that, yeah. that your future self, how good you were then, and you. I wanted to, 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 to pin my feelings and say, this is the real feeling. This mm. is it. The, the way I respond to nature now, the way I respond to love, the, 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 the rawness of my engagement with the world is correct. And that when that rawness gets sealed up by layers of sophistication and civilization mm. and aging, I will be growing away from my real self. It was a furious tempest of emotion, but I, I stand by it. Yes, you know? and uh, you ha- there's a passage here about adolescence that I particularly liked, so I want to read it. Oh, he said, Perhaps all adolescence is a dialogue between Faust and Christ. We tremble on the brink of selling that part of ourselves that is real, unique, angry, defiant, and whole for the rewards of attainment, achievement, success, and the golden prizes of integration and acceptance. But we also, in our great creating imagination, Rehearse the sacrifice we will make, the pain and terror we'll take from others' shoulders, our penetration to the lives and souls of our fellows, our submission and willingness to be rejected and despised for the sake of truth and love, and in the wilderness, our angry rebuttals of the hypocrisy, deception, and compromise of a world which we see to be so false. There is nothing so self-righteous nor so right as an adolescent imagination. Oh, and, goodness, did I write that? Well, yes. yeah, you did. And, you know, yeah. as I read this, I keep thinking, I want you to read it. <laughs> uh, but but uh, yeah. I found that incredibly powerful. I'm wondering to what extent you try to keep that adolescent. Uh, I, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm fully aware that I'm an establishment figure, that I'm very yeah. lucky. I'm in this country and in various other parts of the world, a sort of celebrity enough yeah. to at least to get everything I need <laughs> tables at uh, restaurants yeah. and all the rest of it, and, and that I have n- no cause for despair or for feeling rejected by the, by the world, and therefore any, any postures or, or, you know, arguments that I'm still angry or still, you know, would sound a bit tame. But on the other hand, I do believe that the, that the mind should keep one, in, if not in the Republic of Adolescence than in that of Bohemia, whatever mm. you want to call it, mm-hmm. in the uh, eternal student state of questioning, doubting, um, fearing, n- not just others, but oneself, d- you know, doubting one's own certainties, constantly uh, reinventing, rethinking, being unsure and, and not, you know, not settling in, not bourgeoisifying, yes. if that's the right phrase, you know. Um, 
And it sounds, and it's taken by the world now to be rather a snobbish thing, that you're basically saying that the life of the mind, the life of the artist, the life of the intellectual, the academic is a superior one to those who, in the words of Wordsworth, are getting and spending and, you know, living and breathing and just about on the edge of, of survival because of the economy and because of everything else and they're angry and they feel let down and they think people like us are in ivory towers and that we don't connect with the real world and that it's easy for us to have these grand opinions but that we are uh, a sneering coastal metropolitan elite whose time is over <laughs> and maybe they're right I don't, but I, can only, I can't pretend to be anything other than I am or f feel or you know g go on the track that I sense to be the most productive for my own fulfillment and for the for living a life that I think is ethical and truthful. Um, you know, well, without no, he can't ask for more than that. Sounds virtue signaling <laughs> of the worst kind, which is, of course, anything you say can be interpreted as. But it's not, you know, I, I'm not a Christ-like in, in, in any <laughs> sense no, no, of sacrificing no, myself not. in that way. I wouldn't be talking to but you But I think were. the other thing I say, in, in if, if it's in the same book, and I think it is, is that I locate myself and and most of us, uh, as it were, most humans, I think, in that anti-hero um, ah, yes, state, I, I, in, in, which yearns on the one hand to be accepted, to be part of the tribe, and and with equal fervor, in contradistinction, yearns to be apart from the tribe. That that desire to be socialized and that desire to be. A solipsistic individual standing alone, and and I think that's a very strong impulse. Oh yeah, or, or no, a pair I, of impulses. I actually wrote that down. Oh, you did. Right. I found that, no, no, because yeah. I thought it was very powerful. But that yeah. it's interesting that you talk about that wanting to be sort of this state of self doubt questioning, which I know for a fact, mm. which is why, it, in spite of your, well, we'll get to your apparent innate lack of ability as a mathematician <laughs> and 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 maybe as a physicist. Um, <laughs> It's the spirit of science, and 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 I, that's one of the things I celebrate about science yeah. that I think is so important. And of course, in literature, it should be celebrated in all intellectual endeavors. Is the is the questioning, the self doubt, the the recognition that you that that you that not knowing in some ways is more exciting than knowing. Absolutely, and it's humility before the facts. Yes. and I suppose you'd you'd say that's a definition of science and a definition of art is humility before experience, before a the experience. Absolutely, you know that and. They're the same thing. Yes, empiricism means the the exactly, and and I absolutely treasure above all the, and I don't want to sound nationalistic about yeah. this, but the the British tradition of empirical thinking, both in philosophy and, of course, what it did to science. Yes. The the idea of, of 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 testing, of trying out, of seeing, of vindicating epidemiology in medicine and 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 of uh, experimentation in, in chemistry and, and physics, sort of characters like Faraday and absolutely Thompson, my hero, and, and Maxwell, and those sort of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just breathtaking yes. that, that that they dared. You know, it goes back to again. It's, this sounds like I'm having a go at the French, but you know, Pascal having these theories of light, <laughs> but not thinking of picking up a piece of cardboard yeah, and putting a hole in it. Yes, you know, yeah. which an Englishman would do because yes. we're a bit we're a bit vulgar and clumsy and yes. just think, oh, well, let's have a let's have a look then. Yeah. So Newton was, in that sense, he had many faults, of course. But, yeah, but, but, at least but he was a he was yeah an experimenter. It, exactly, he was an experimenter. I mean, he's known for his theories, but he was an experimenter. In fact. I have. We're sitting in a philosopher's office, and they always try to explain to me that I should like Aristotle more than I do. 
Um, and, and, but one of the things that always amazes me is that he said that women have a different number of teeth than men. And <laughs> he did he make some astonishing so, mistakes. So easy to just check. <laughs> just <you know>? check. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think the problem with Aristotle is that he's also associated with a way of thinking that, was, that fitted so immediately and in, in, instantly into the church. Sure, yeah. So, you know, I think it's known by... Uh, Historians and, and his, historians of philosophy as Aristotelian ecclesiasticism, which yes. is a bit of a mouthful, but yeah. that's really what made the Dark Ages what they were. Yeah. This categorization, this absolute certainty of the way things were and the order of them being sort of fixed and unmoving. And it took the dislodging uh, of, of humanism and uh, early humanism and, and uh, the, the, the Renaissance and, and, and the Age of Reason to, to dislodge yeah. that. Yeah, I'm biased because my, my first learning about Aristotle was through Galileo in a way. And so, of right. course, he was a foil in some sense. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But, the, the, of course, in his uh, poetics and uh, and ethics, there's, there's mm. a lot to admire. He was a, uh, And people are beginning to re-examine him. And there's a, there's a... I can't remember her name. She's written a very good book on him that came out last year. I should year. read it because I, yeah. I'm constantly learning that I might... Well, it's nice <laughs> to learn that your preconceptions are wrong in many ways. Now, you talked about your love of Latin and Greek. You love the classics. It's obvious mm. you've written <laughs> two beautiful books about, about uh, ancient Greek myths. So I... I, I I took Latin in school and and, mm. and I really wish in 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 Canada that there I always wanted to learn a- ancient Greek but I never did but your love of classics did it begin you had a teacher Rory Stewart who was a literature teacher who was yes. very who had left a bit impression but you said he was really a well known classicist he was that's was how that, he was started it, yeah and I was wondering if it, it was before that because that was um, what we call public school which is mm. thirteen years yeah. uh, sort of age of thirteen onwards mm. whereas it was at prep school which is seven to thirteen mm-hmm. that's the traditional thing. And, that's where I started Latin, you know, mm. you just did. Virtually your first week, it was a moomassamat. Sure, yeah. and so on. And, and then I, I, I just, I thought it's like a code. I just yeah. loved the idea yeah. of swapping words over, you know. Yeah. And, and so the Latin teacher there, whose name was Mr. Knight, he said, well, would you be interested in learning Greek? Well, why don't you learn the alphabet? And I thought, that's even more like a code. Yeah. So I could send messages. Yeah. I teach but, friends yeah. and we yeah, you know, sure. just write English words in Greek characters. And then... And then I, he gave me a primer, and I started to learn Greek on my own. And then I did did exams in it, and I just wow. I just I'm loved so it. Jealous. It was just fun. I, I know mean, the letters. Yeah, because I bet you were physicist. the same with numbers. Yeah, I bet well, you did calculus three years before everybody no, else. No, you were I, differentiating I when someone threw a ball at you. you were... <laughs> no, I well, not necessarily. It was okay, but uh, uh, but but the opportunity. To, in fact, it's kind of well. I'm sure you've been on this too. I, I don't. In British schools, do they still teach Latin? Because I don't think you can get it in American schools. Right? They do, yes. Um, I think you have to. You and your parents have to ask for it a bit more. Yeah, I, I fear. But there's a new generation of classicists. Interesting, almost all women. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily Wilson has written a brilliant new yeah. translation of the Iliad. Um, and there's Natalie Hughes, Madeline Miller, the novelist, American novelist, who wrote The Song of Achilles and mm. Circe, both prize-winning, sure. brilliant books. So the, it, it, it is alive. It's, uh, I mean, with, I'm sure something will come to later, but I always get a little, little tired of people who think that technology sweeps everything away. Yes. Think, uh, as I tried to say with, uh, about, um, you know, e-books, you know, uh, Kindles and so on, you know, they are escalators or elevators that doesn't mean people are going to stop building stairs just because they've invented a lift absolutely where lifts are useful you use a lift or elevator um but otherwise you use stairs you know and it so just changes things it, just, it makes them better yeah. you know there's an analogy i i I've recently written about ai and and everyone's afraid of ai yeah. but but my 
point is that it will change everything, but it won't yeah. make it worse. It'll be different. And the example yeah. I can think of relates to writing, which is, you know, Plato was, and his ilk were opposed, worried desperately that writing would destroy storytelling. Absolutely but right. But it, it changed the world, but it certainly didn't destroy yeah, and, storytelling. And writing's only 5,000 years old, or yes. at least alphabetic writing. Yeah. And, um, and of course, in 1450, everyone, the church thought that about Gutenberg. Yeah, you know, exactly. the, the, they'll have to put, you know, they won't have to know things. It'll yeah. be written down in yeah. typed books. In, and, uh, of course, it actually led to the opposite, to a great uh, explosion exactly. of knowledge. And that's why, yeah, that's so I'm sort of excited yeah. much by AI. I also Which isn't think it's to much say one that one shouldn't be aware yeah, that, as we're reminded all the time, everything casts a shadow. Yeah, and the yeah. brighter and shinier it is, the darker and more clear the outlines of that shadow are. Well, as a physicist, in spite of the concerns, and there are some, many, especially economic ones, I think, but... but uh, I'm interested always in whether AI, what what physics questions will interest AI, mm. and one I suppose could imagine the same thing. What literature yes. would would it create, and it would be it would be fascinating as a foil again, once again, to see understand our own yeah. literature by thinking about that. Exactly. Then, uh, so to go from the sublime to the ridiculous, I was very pleased to discover that the only O level exam that you failed, and you failed <laughs> abysmally, was physics. Yes, I think there was a bit of a bit of parasite going on there. As yes. I said, my father was a physicist, and he was one of those people. I'm sure you're much the same. If I would ask a question like, you know, why is the sky blue? His natural reaction: take a piece of paper and do an X and a Y, and then a sort of curve on it, and say X squared minus one equals Y or something. And I go, what on earth is that supposed to mean? What were? And and I remember saying about asking. I said, look, Papa, father. I've been reading about Newton, I said. Bodies in space attract, attract each other and it's something to do with the, mm. the, 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 the inverse of the square of their mm. distance. I said, I know what each word means. I know what inverse <laughs> means, I know what square means, I know what distance means, but what the hell? Why a square? Why not a cube? What, what, the, hey, how does it, brah? And then he would draw things and show, don't forget a square is best described <laughs> as looking at a square, you know. So I remember him going through a proof of Pythagoras with me. And uh, said the square on the and he drew the square on, oh, okay. on, on the sides and said, well, "See, it's a square." Yeah. He said, "Don't think of it as just the the, the figure we, two on the top because mm -hmm. I've got you use all these." Uh, sure. And and he was very good at the at making geometry out of it. Yeah. So he would always you know draw uh -huh. and say, "Look, see," and and I sometimes go yes, and then other times whoa, especially when the big F sign uh, came well, out, I, the big function that, sign. Yeah. Well, I read that eventually, sigmas. even when you got the math, the geometry is something you never never liked, which I was surprised about. Well. I mean, I, I just, as, as Clint Eastwood says to Hal Holbrook, is it's in Magnum Force, a man's got to know his no, limitations, Briggs. <laughs> and, and, and I knew my limitations. That it was just, I could probably make the journey, but it would be harder work for me and it would be tough going mm -hmm. and I would never really be lit up by it. I would just catch up and say, I see it now. I mean, I see the wide outlines of the beauty of science and I absolutely believe in it and I believe in the adventure and the quest uh, but the detail the actual work of it I just know I'm not made well, to do then one doesn't have to it always amazes me that in our society we we say you know you you can enjoy music if you're not Bach but yes. you, and you can enjoy literature if you're not Shakespeare but somehow science you don't seem to be able to enjoy unless you can do it and yeah. and and you're an example, I think, and, and the people I really enjoy are examples of people who do enjoy all breaths of intellectual inquiry, yeah. including science. And mm. I was going to ask, so, you know, obviously you didn't have an aptitude, mm. but I've discovered, and I'm wondering if it's the case for you, that, you, that, that because of that, um, 
lack of maybe interest and, and aptitude, did, coming back later in life, did that push you more to realize that you might have missed something and want to learn Very more? Very much so. Very much so. And actually, we, where we happen to be in Bloomsbury in London, yeah. just across the road, there's a street called Totten Court Road. And mm-hmm. in, the, in the late 70s and early 80s, it was filled, as it was for the next couple of decades, and still to some extent is, with shops sell electronics and mm-hmm. gadgets yes. and gizmos. I remember. And I was in one of those in just come out of university. Mm-hmm. And it was around the time that the great phrase microcomputing was yes. being mm-hmm. used. And there was the BBC Acorn computer and there was the Sinclair ZX, the little home hobbies computers, and there was the, the Commodores and the mm-hmm. Atari was around the corner too. And I saw a group of kids sitting around uh, in, in this shop in the Tottenham Court Road literally a cricket ball throw from where we are now, playing with this BBC Acorn computer. And I thought, as people did, scared stiff. Mm-hmm. If I don't catch up now with this, I'll never. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to be computer literate was yes. the phrase. So I, um, I saved up a bit. I was just, just literally stopped being a student and bought one of these. And you plugged it into a television, sure. of course. And, yeah, sure. Uh, had a cassette tape recorder to carry your little programs and taught myself basic the, the language in oh. order and wrote little programs, none of which were of any particular use, little shell sort uh-huh. programs and other such things, the early sorts of sure. thing you would do mm-hmm. in order to find out what it was all about. And I became very interested in uh, Boolean mm-hmm. mathematics, in, in logic. Oh. Suddenly I understood logic from a, from a from different point of view. perspective, because uh, you used it. Yes, I, I'd sort of read books on yeah. logic, and, yeah. and uh, symbolic logic had got me a bit lost yeah. when, it, when it got very mathematical. But... Suddenly the and, or if, unless, mm, until, yeah, the sort of yeah. hinges mm. on which uh, an action depend, mm. the, the, the gates swinging sure. open or closed or mm. giving, you know, little options and sealing off this way, a little labyrinth of, 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 of intellectual progress or of indeed quite banal mm-hmm. progress, simply to get, you know, a, a dot on the screen sure. to move to where you wanted yeah, to. You sure. had to break it down. In, and I thought this was... Stunningly beautiful and really interesting, and and it was only much later that I discovered uh, about Claude Shannon and yes, and, and the, the 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 nature of information science and and and, and what it was about, and, and I still marvel at its beauty and well, the I, breathtaking uh, idea that you can connect these numbers and and logic you know logic words like if and when and well, to the the action of electricity well do you i'm wondering as you say that was it was because of your love of language was it was it the in some ways when you learned basic was it was it that it was a very different type of language that attracted you yes maybe it was and and in fact the word the fact that the word language was used is they'd used another word to describe you know a computer Mm -hmm. uh they called it uh, cypherology or some sort of strange thing. I might have been off-put, but the fact that it was called a language made me think that. And, of course, you then got higher and lower level languages. Well, I was thinking even more than that. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's sort of language opens up a world for you. And and, and this language opened up a very different kind of world. It did, and yet it connects as well. Um, Enarcho en logos is the other first sentence of the the Gospel of St. John. In the beginning was the word. Yes. And uh, the, the Greeks rightly separated logos from lexis, two types of word. Lexis, the, the unit of sense, either written or spoken, as in lexicographer yeah. and dyslexia and so on. And logos as in ology, and, but it, as in logic. And, and 
And now we we know a little more about the brain and it's, you know, the way neurons and uh, work and fire and so on, that, that there, there are similar logic paths that have to be made and connections that, and, and alternate routes that have to be decided by something very similar to, to, to what was worked out in order to get a digital computer built first. Mm-hmm. Um, and meaning is sort of what it's about meaning and difference and the ability to read to you know intelligence to read into in, in, into ledgeray mm-hmm. um and and it's it's all connected it's, yeah it's all it's a, it's deeply a, connected and, and, and the and idea that, that one should be one field of study yeah, and the other well, another that's is lovely i mean that explains a lot to me because i have to admit given the background when i learned you wrote a technology column and i thought well where what's the connection yeah. you just made it for me in a, in a real yeah. sense and and also, when I think about the need for you to at least get through math and physics, <laughs> what you just did illustrates something that I think is interesting. When you talked about your father talking to you, it, I found it very moving when you describe your father working so hard to help you get through your math things. Yeah. And, but what you said, what I thought was fascinating, you said, the very act of my father's teaching inspired in me a love of the act of teaching in and of itself. That's the point. I don't suppose he had ever taught anyone anything before, but he taught me how to teach far more than he taught me how to do maths. It's true, absolutely. And yeah. and and I think that. But it's interesting. You're a lovely teacher, but teaching is involved with learning as well. And I'm wondering if that's if that's mm. uh, which is really what's important about school that people don't realize. It's not just doing the math. It's the it's the ability to be a lifelong learner. Yeah. And. And so I wonder. I wanted to ask you about that that love of teaching and and um, and whether it it related to then your. I mean, much of your life has been a, a public figure, been an entertainer, and a, <laughs> but do you view that as teaching? I I, I do, I, and I realize it, it is, and I I think I was aware even in my twenties that I I was almost acting against the natural impulse, the natural yeah, f- sure. current flow that my life had led to, that I should have stayed on at university and become a teacher, mm-hmm. if not there, then at a school well, or I think somewhere. it's better for the world that you did. Well, it's, it's nice of you, but they, of course, there are two narrative modes and there are two mm. pedagogical modes, two teaching modes, and they are telling and showing, mm-hmm. essentially. And obviously, we privilege showing uh, in, in our culture in all narrative modes. You know, the spectacular is the way everything is done. You, if, you can, if you can show it rather than tell it, then show it. But actually... One of the things I've discovered, r- r- these Greek myth books and then doing them on stage as an act of telling mm-hmm. rather than of showing, is that this is sort of what I was built to do, was to, to, was to tell stories. And whether the stories are actually shaping ideas or whether they are merely narratives, I say merely because narratives are obviously more than yeah. mere, but uh, I'm not sure. It's... <laughs> As you know, one of the most fashionable sciences and mostly in the hands of, of us all uh, pseudosciences is evolutionary psychology, mm-hmm. which is a very uh, it's a, a poison chalice to some extent. Um, but, uh, you know, it's quite easy to think of, of us, you know, as a, our ancestors in, in our... We've, we've had tool making, we've harnessed fire, um, for, for, you know, for tens of thousands of years, and then suddenly language, mm-hmm. the great cognitive leap arrived and... And uh, finally, we could sit around and we didn't all have to be 
hunters and gatherers. You know, someone yeah, exactly. will go, do you know what? <laughs> I'm going to brighten the cave up with some pictures. And they go, really? Well, well, yeah, well, you know, he's a better fighter than I am and she's a better forager and, you know. So suddenly there were people who had different gifts to give and whereas before they would have fallen by yeah, the wayside, yeah, yeah, people yeah, like so. I. And, and as you, I'm sure you know, the, the Jasper's, um, you know, the axial age idea, that, that um, which is an amazing fact, but that Confucius and Buddha and the Old, and the Old Testament prophets and Aristotle and Plato and Socrates sure. would, could all have met each other. They yeah. all, there was a sudden moment where, I think it's a, a concatenation of, of, of benign circumstances, sea levels settled, so you could have harbours and ports that were the same yeah, year sure. after year that allowed mm. trading to stabilise and develop and enrich the cross-currents of commerce and so on. And... Um, and the, the calories were getting cheaper, for, for, and, and therefore people had more leisure. Exactly. And with leisure came this ability to question, and to, and it happened that the Greeks were at the absolute crossroads of this moment in 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 our history, and with alphabet and everything else, and with the Phoenician trading, and so on. So they could stop and think, and they could tell stories, and they could fix the stories because the alphabet had arrived. Yes. And the poets could. Could could improve them and embellish them and uh, polish them, mm -hmm. and and a, and a, a culture arrived and a culture that could be transmitted forward through language and and all these things are uh, meant that people like me suddenly had a role. Whereas before, I literally we would have just been left in the mud, going, "Oh help! I can't catch up! I can't run fast <laughs> enough! I can't kill that! I, uh, that that stag is charging me! That bull has trampled me!" But now we have we. Well, you stay at home, dear. <laughs> You're not very good at fighting, and um, and you tell stories, and 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 you will. Or unfortunately, you. Mostly, it's warriors and priests. Yes, and, yeah, and, but, and these are things language, we fought against. <laughs> yeah, and and we, I, you know, I've run several meetings on early modern humans, and 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 it's interesting to think about the notion of language and how it how it plays out in terms mm. of the necessity of a tribe of having some communication. Although I've spent a lot of time talking to Noam Chomsky, who has always said that he thought language the development of language was not to communicate. Yes, I know. It's, it's, to, it's to think. It, it's, it's, to, it's to think. Yes, and it's I a love fascinating that. question. Yeah. I'd never, it never hit him. And there's the E.O. Wilson sort of the idea that the, the sealing of the social bonds yeah, and the, the yeah. creation of a, of a whole kind of uh, not not a hive mind, but 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 a, but a, well, a human yeah, social. Yeah, sure, mind. sure. Well, it, it's I'm going to get to the present time, but I want to. There's a, a number of other descriptions uh, uh, that that. One of them that I think maybe gets us to the present time, but I, and it, remarkably, it has to do with your nose. <laughs> and, and you and you talk about nose, the yeah, cocaine, it, it, which it, is it? it, it the, no, no, this is the bent nose. Oh, the bent nose. You talk about few. And no, 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 no. But you said, but I love what you said. You said we keep our insignificant blemishes so we can blame them for our larger defects. Mm. The problem of my bent nose comes to mind when I have regular arguments with a friend on political subjects. He is firmly of the opinion that the existence of the monarchy, the aristocracy, and the House of Lords is absurd, unjust, and outdated. It would be hard to disagree with that. He believes, however, that in the name of liberty and social justice, they should be abolished. This is where we part company. Uh, and and actually, there's a long discussion that I'll, I'll probably skip. But but uh, it's, he said, you say there will be great psychological damage done to us if we take the steps of constitutional cosmetic alteration. Mm. The world would stare at us and whisper and giggle about us excitedly, as people always do. And then I think you say the trouble with doing a thing for cosmetic reasons is that one always ends up with a cosmetic result. And the cosmetic results, as we know from inspecting rich American women, are ludicrous, embarrassing, and horrific. I, I love <laughs> that. Cruel, but, 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 I, true. I, I, but I thought it would give me a chance. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to... to 
I'm ha- in the notion. I love the statement that the blemish we keep our blemishes so we can blame them for our larger defects. Mm-hmm. And 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 your example, the monarchy. Really, it, it, I think it's a, there's something deep there in the sense that one of the problems that's happened, in my opinion, in the United States, and there are many lately, is that we invest the power and the pomp in the same in the same person. Yes, and it's always impressed me that you, if you can separate yeah. them, that, that, that's. I, a, I agree. I'm, I, but you may have watched The Crown, and you may remember yeah. the first season of The Crown. Mm-hmm. It began with Winston Churchill as, yeah. as the Queen's first Prime Minister when she was, uh, 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 when her father died, mm-hmm. and um, he had to bow. In, he had to come in. This grand old man, you know, one one of the great figures of the 20th century, had to bow in front of this girl, and. But of course, he was bowing in front of the idea of what a sovereign is, yeah. the representative of the country. Now, imagine if your president, Trump, every mm. week yeah. had to go to a, a graceful, colonnaded, you know, colonial building on the top of the hill somewhere in Washington, and there was an Uncle Sam figure who was a representative of America, America. who was like an embodiment of the flag and the idea of the country, and that Trump had to bow to them and explain himself each week what he'd done, why he'd done it, what the current problems were. Uncle Sam couldn't say, do this, because Uncle Sam wouldn't be elected. Uncle Sam was just a a figurehead, a a, a symbol of of the personification of the country. Um, I think that'd be incredibly healthy. And that's what every British prime minister has to do. And indeed, the current uh, humiliation of our our, our prime minister at the moment is that he may well indeed have deceived the Queen yes. in, 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 in proroguing Parliament. You don't have to well, follow we'll, the we'll, technicalities we'll, we'll, of that. We'll get, we may but get I tell there. you where this is interesting, Lawrence, I think, is because 10 years ago we were still excited about the idea in Silicon Valley and elsewhere of move fast and break things, the disrupting culture. Mm-hmm. We're going to disrupt this space, we're going to disrupt that space, we disrupt cars in cities and we become Uber. We disrupt uh, the way people get a room and, and it, we become Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we disrupt, you know, we move fast and break things. That was the, that was the cliche. And, 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 and as some chickens are coming home to roost now. We're realizing that things have been broken, that maybe it would have been wise to think about, you know, if it was a, f- a good idea to break them. Um, it's a, a philosopher's idea called Chesterton's Fence. You know, G.K. Chesterton wrote about this idea that someone who didn't really understand what a fence was, if they saw it, would probably break it. And then they wouldn't know about the animals breaking free. They wouldn't understand the wind coming through and the topsoil erosion and the huge concatenation of circumstances that can follow when you destroy something that you don't understand. Ah, interesting. And it sounds like an argument for conservatism, yeah. and it kind of is. In, at some and level. Because actually conservatives now aren't conservative. They're no longer. Conservatives used to believe in institutions and and trust them unless there was a very good reason not to. Mm-hmm. Whereas now conservatives are the Bannon kind and our British equivalents yeah, and the European yeah, equivalents, yeah. break it all down, yeah. break it all down. It's just elites, it's just, you know, let's... Uh, and as Thomas More says in A Man for All Seasons, you know, uh, when, when Richie Rich, the John Hurt character in the movie, if mm-hmm. you remember says about, well, tear it all down, tear the laws. What do you know? Because he's saying the law prevents us from doing this. He said, well, the laws are wrong, tear them down. Ah, but laws are hedges, Richie. When you tear down each hedge, and who will stand in the winds that come? You know? And it's, an, it's a, a neat, and Paul Schofield does it brilliantly in the film. Yeah. But we're beginning to feel that now, I think, that the the... the what used to be called conservatism is now in the hands of people. It's fantastic no irony. Res- people yeah. like me, you know, people <laughs> who say, "Well, actually, I rather think this institution is is worth prizing, or at least, yes. you know, don't smash the it up." Conservatives in both—I mean, the parallels that are happening in both our countries, mm. the, 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 the 
apparent conservatives are right-wing are the people who have no respect for the institutions that they that's seem right. to run. And that's why I found, uh, I found that statement about blemishes so interesting. That, yeah. that if, you can, if, you can, if you can sort of have them to wor- worry about and, 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 right. not, not, and, and then, then the other important things are... are you, and you, again, you, you might as well be like an epidemiologist about yeah. it. Well, let's imagine that the purpose of government, the purpose of socialised living mm. of any kind, I don't mean socialised in the sense of socialism, mm. but just sure. living together in countries even is for, as the American Constitution put it, with the pursuit of happiness, yeah. is, is for us to be a, 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 a more stable, contented mm. people. Well, there are indices that you can look at. They're not always reliable, but the, if there are enough of them are pointing in the right direction, you could argue quite, oh, it seems the happiest countries are the Benelux countries, Belgium mm. and mm-hmm. Luxembourg and, and the Netherlands and Scandinavia, <laughs> um, and they're all constitutional monarchies. <laughs> how very interesting. Yeah, how very interesting. So, I mean, you know, it's illogical. It's not, mm-hmm. You wouldn't start from there if you were planning a country, yeah. but somehow we've evolved into it. It's, uh, and, it definitely... and it seems to work. It's it's a you know it's a bit like when people try and reinvent theatres. As an actor, people say, "Well, you know, the proscenium arch is sort of somehow almost a fascistic. You know, we are talking. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. put a thrust out into mm-hmm. the audience, and yeah, it works for the odd thing. But ultimately, everyone's just embarrassed and doesn't know where to look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was exactly. a reason that the yeah, prose arch was invented somehow. <laughs> so let's go back. Well, I'm very sympathetic. You know, it's it's been. For me, as and well, you because you span the continents as well. But I, you know, I grew up in Canada and mm. I moved to the United States, and the and the and the difference, and which you know, Canada being part of what is essentially yes. a constitutional monarchy, and seeing that difference was really fascinating and drawn home to me the minute I arrived. And I ever I continue to to ache in some sense when I think about when I see what's happening. Okay, let me. There's one more quote. A quote from you. You say, "Just as it is the love of money that is the root of all evil, so it is the belief in shamefulness." That is the root of all misery, and and I thought I thought I think that's very important now um, in the modern times, and I thought I'd I'd, I'd, I'd ask yeah. you to talk about that. Well, um, shame is the um, the prime mover of the Judeo-Christian tradition, yeah, of yes. course. So mm-hmm. it is pudor, it is shame in the Garden of Eden. The most important line was not that about have you eaten the fruit of the tree whereof I spake thou shouldst mm. not eat, but it's. Um, why you cover your bodies up, God says, when he sees Adam and Eve, and they go, well, we were naked and we were ashamed. Who told you you were naked? <laughs> Where did you get this idea that you were naked? And, and whatever arguments one has with the Hebrew Bible and, uh, and the religion that sprang from it, it's a, it's a very interesting myth, because like all creation myths, it has to deal with the fact that we as a species recognize we were animals, because we sleep, we breed, we poo, we eat like mm. other animals, mm. and yet we know we're different. So around the fire, we must have said, why are we different? And, you know, the Prometheus and the Pandora myth from the Greeks and the various other ones um, came, and the Hebrew one was, well, we have this idea that we, we're we ashamed of us. We think about ourselves. We, we look at ourselves and we go, ooh. And it's both a, it's both a wonderful thing, um, self-consciousness, it... Uh, it can allow us to bootstrap into whole new areas of cognition and, uh, and imagination. Uh, but it's also, it can hold us back. And one example is sh- is shame. I think um, it's very difficult to apologize for the things we should apologize mm-hmm. for, but we kind of know what they are. Yes. But they're not for having a penis or, mm. or, or for having a rectum mm. or, you know, for having mm. to poo every day. Yeah. Th- th- this is nothing to apologize <laughs> yes. for. It's common to all of us. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, all of us with Y chromosomes in the case of the penis, yeah. obviously. But um, And, and th- 
the, the hypocrisy, the greed, the 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 the, the casual violence, the the, the, the closing off mm -hmm. to the cries and screams of suffering around the world of animals as well as our fellow humans. These are things we have to yeah. think about. We have to kind of come to terms with our own, you know, how, how far can we, you know, you can't spend your whole life yeah. begging for apology because someone is dying three, three and a half thousand miles away. Because it's just not practicable. But you try and live an ethical life at least or, or, or feel that you're trying. But to be bogged down in sex, I mean, and, and things like that, it's just insane. I mean, the, the, the Martian beloved of, of, of ethicists and philosophers who looks down on the planet, he will say, well, I can see this species here. They do all kinds of terrible things. There's a, abuse, uh, 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 the trampling of the innocent. There's a, a cause of suffering and violence and uh, lies and deceit and warfare and slaughter and all these things. Uh, so... I would imagine the Martian would say that uh, in language, these are the things you have to be, you know, very careful about. But they also do good things. They eat food and their sustenance, and obviously they have to get rid of it. Um, they have an interesting way of doing that, putting out their toxins and so on. Um, and they have to copulate. They have to reproduce. And the way they do so is rather interesting and beautiful. <laughs> and it makes use of a remarkable... Uh, pairing idea mm. of sort of to get variation into mm. their systems. Oh, it's wonderful. And then, lo and behold, in their language, they can say, oh, the traffic was torture. But torture's one of the things they do that's absolutely unforgivable. There's never an excuse to torture. It was murder. Oh, it was so cruel. But cruelty and murder are the worst <laughs> things they can do. But they say, well, fuck that. And everyone goes, oh, he said fuck. <laughs> but, but that's one of the good things they do. What's the matter with these people? Why, why you know, so even, I mean, it's just a bizarre idea. Yeah. That that that, that uh, we we um, we're ashamed of things that we have no reason to be ashamed. Of. We're utterly hung up on. We, we care about children being exposed to, but we don't care about children being exposed to the things exactly. that really are monstrous. Are monstrous. It, we, yeah. Exactly. We don't. There's so many things we accept and what kids can do, yeah. but they can't yeah. go to a movie where there's a nipple. No, it's <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, it's hilarious if yeah. it weren't possibly so destructive. No, I... Uh, you know, because it, there's a lot of rape, there's a lot of it, sexual it, confusion, there's it, a lot of unhappiness about it, because the sex is incredibly important to us as human beings. You know, it's, it's an central. It's but yeah, as deep as anything. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't Oscar Wilde. He's always misquoted as him, but uh, somebody said uh, everything in the human world is about sex, except sex, which <laughs> is about power, <laughs> which is quite a, quite yeah. a good... It's uh, the meat. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly worth thinking about. I'm not sure it's entirely true, but it's yeah. quite. It's quite clever. You, you've hit on the part of shame. What, at least one aspect mm -hmm. of shamefulness that is, is is the, is the root of all misery. But I'm wondering whether there's another kind of shamefulness. When I think about, well, you talked about yourself as anti-hero, yeah, and, yeah, and and to some extent, in fact, I wondered whether you, like me, are, are that way. The older we get, the less secure we are in our own abilities. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 and less confident, but there was a trend. I find that fascinating because when I when I hear about your adolescence and and insecurities, and then I read about them as an adult, and there's some great quotes of uh, that uh, you have of yourself as basically not liking aspects of yourself. The fact that you like to be liked by people, that mm. you live in a place because you think it gives an image of you that you you'd like to have, but you're not really uh, sure join all these clubs. clubs. Yeah, yeah, and, and, it, and it it reeks of of mm. sort of in some sense the insecurities that we we have, and I, as I say that I. I find grow in me to some extent, the more successful I am. But th there's one time in your life which I just found um, inexplicable in that sense. And it's the amazing time that, that turned you from a lost, 
soul, to the road to success. And that's when after you stole, after you went mm. to prison for it and you came back to school, you basically told someone, look, I'm going to, I'm going to study for the yeah. A-levels. I'm going to go to Cambridge yeah. and I'm going to pass all these and I'm going to get a, I'm going a scholarship. scholarship to Cambridge. Yeah. And I found it so surprising because it seemed, what, and, but what isn't described in that book, and I wanted to ask you about, was what, what caused that sudden change from insecurity to incredible confidence? I think it's, um, again, I'm going to sound over-obsessed, but he was a remarkable man, and he has died, so he's been much on my mind. But my father always said of me that I, uh, you know, when I was passing exams and, mm-hmm. and uh, doing things when I was young, even though I was getting into trouble at school, and uh, he, I remember the, one of the housemasters saying, but he is a very bright boy, and my father said, well, yes, he has the gift of pastiche and reproduction, but he's never thought in his life. And I remember being outraged by this. Oh, my goodness. And I, and I, at one point, when he was in a friendly mood, I said, what, what did you mean by saying I'd never thought? He said, well, you haven't. You don't really understand what thought is, do you? And I said, what is it? He said, it's work. Work is the currency of the universe, or at least of our universe, as we understand it. It's the only thing that matters. And thought is, 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 is that. It changes, it, it moves things, it is a force. And you merely reproduce, you reflect. And I, I uh, you know, repudiated this in, inside my head and um, kind of felt a bit that I was under attack. But I realised it was true. I had a gift for parody and pastiche. I could imitate anything. I had no style of my own. I, it was while in prison when I was reading and I had nothing else to do and I was teaching this particular cellmate how to read and mm-hmm. so on um, that I just got out of the complete works of Shakespeare, which I'd, I'd always loved Shakespeare. And I thought, I don't really know these plays properly. So I started to read them and make notes on them. And I started to say, no, that's, that's, I'm, just, I'm just copying someone else's idea here. That's, what do I really think? And I suddenly discovered the joy of work. And, and I, it was work. I was thinking for the first time in my life. And by this time, it was late. I'd been a mm. prodigy before in the mm. sense that I'd done my O-level exams, I'd done them all when I was 14. Yes. And usually that's done when you're 16. Yeah. It's only two years. It's nothing really. <laughs> but but uh, to in childhood, so it seems like yeah, a lot. Absolutely. Two years is a bit. But, but it was all just n- without thinking. Yehudi Menun, I remember, the, yeah. the, 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 he did the same. He was a child, I mean, much more than I, mm-hmm. but he was a child prodigy as a violinist. Yes. You know, Elgar wrote a concerto for him to play and so on. He stopped when he was about 17 and said, I have to learn how to play the violin now. I, I, I just picked it up and knew at a child level and sort mm-hmm. of, that amazed people because mm. of my skill, but I never really have broken it down and to try and understand. And I, I, I'm certainly not comparing myself to mm. many of them, but for the first time, I realised that there was a, a pleasure in not just uh, the labour, which I did enjoy, the actual toil, the actual mm. realising I've sat down and focused and concentrated for a long period of time, but also in the transformative challenge of, of realising... I don't understand this. I'm going to have to work through it. I'm going to have to pick it apart. I'm not just going to say, I know how to do this, but I'm going to, you know, and I think that was the difference. Oh, and, okay. Well, and yeah, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me to hear that. And, and, and it, because it was so important and, mm. and, uh, and so obviously later on, but that makes sense to me. Okay, yeah. good. Well, then. And one of my favorite quotations to just say on the other is, is um, because the ethic of work, which is something people talk about a lot, is important to me, or at least so natural to me that I, you know, if I get two days off, I, I just go mad. I mm. have to do something. And I know uh, the feeling. There's a no coward <laughs> quotation which I like, which is, "Work is more fun than fun." 
<laughs> and uh, I do rather cleave to I that. Agree. I agree. Well, yeah. I think, yes. I mean, I always say how lucky I am because I never separated work from, for me, it, yeah. and, and I think that's the luxury mm. that I have. And, and, and I often say people don't think people do science to save the world. I, I, I mean, I do science because I enjoy it. And yeah. I think, and, and it's As incredibly Richard lucky. Feynman put it, the pleasure of finding uh, things exactly. out. Exactly. And yeah. it's just so fortunate to be able to do something. That, and so if I'm able to work, I mm. find it more relaxing than, than, than the other things I have to do in life. It's really yes. kind of... <laughs> <laughs> <That's certainly true. laughs> and, uh, but at the same time, there's work and there's work. I, there's one more quote before. I, there's three or four mm-hmm. things of uh, specifics of things that you're talking about now that I want to get to. But there's another quote, wonderful quote that you have that, well, there's millions. But it is the useless things that make life worth living and that make life dangerous too. Wine, love, art, beauty. Without them, life is safe, but not worth bothering with. Mm. And um, yes, it's a kind of paradox, isn't it? It's, it's the, the useless things are the only things that are useful, actually. Yeah. 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 And that's, that explains why Oscar Wilde said all art is, is quite useless. Mm-hmm. He, 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 it sounds like, well, he's the, the you know, the arch <laughs> aesthete. How, how could he say that? And, but that's the point. Um, yeah, wine, love, you know, all these little extras, um, they are the only things really that seem to make life worth living. Everything else is existence. Well, you know, again, I, translate, I often try and translate the connection between art and science, but I've often said that I'm really quite proud I care, I'm very political as an individual, but I'm really quite proud that nothing I've ever done in my work has any practical significance yeah. whatsoever. And I, and, and I find that because of that separation, it, because it's just for the beauty of finding things out. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, you know, and people say, well, you never know if it, down the road it will have some practical mm-hmm. value. But I'm pretty certain that everything I've ever worked on will never have any practical value. <laughs> you can't be that sort of... I, mean, I had a friend at Cambridge who... Uh, there's a great tradition of mathematics at Cambridge. Yeah, to yeah of course. To, uh, Isaac Newton. And so that instead of getting a first-class degree in, in mathematics, they have this peculiar system where you're a, a, a wrangler or an, what's called an optime. Mm. And, and the senior wrangler is the person with the, with the most, uh, the, the biggest results. And I, my, I happen to know the guy who was senior wrangler. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I said, wow, congratulations. This is amazing. I mean, even Bertram Russell wasn't senior wrangler. You know? And, uh, he said, oh, yes, it is a big, I suppose if you know things, you know them. And, you know, if you can do them, you can do them. And I said, what, what are you going to do for research? He said, I'm not going to bore you with it. It's just ridiculous. I said, well, at least vaguely tell me. He said, well, it's to do with long numbers. I just have this interest in really long numbers. I said, well, and I, of course, said what every idiot says. Well, can't you just add one? <laughs> yeah. you know? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I saw him about 10 years later, just in the street. I said, oh, hi, what are you doing? Are you still, uh, are you still, are you a mathematician? He said, well, I am, but I'm sort of for hire. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know that subject I did, which was completely abstruse and of no use to anybody long numbers, but it turns out to be incredibly useful in cryptography. <laughs> in cryptography, and, yeah. And of course, Large he's numbers now multi-millionaire. Into their prime. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> from, uh, from pure number theory to, well, to I'll hope a for penthouse. that latter part then. We'll see. <laughs> now, speaking of potentially useless things, um, but not, obviously, mm. the fascination with Greek myths, it, it mm. may seem like a weird segue, but, but uh, which I, I, I find fascinating too. I, what, for, I mean, for me, um, one of the things that, that I found, found so fascinating, not just with Greek myths and Roman myths, but also in... Greek and Roman history, which I used to read a lot, is, mm. it, is this the fact that the more things change, the more they stay the same. The fact that these incredibly different societies, when you read the personal lives of people and what concerns them, how amazingly familiar it seems. Mm. And and one of the things, I guess, one of the reasons I, I guess I like the Greek gods so much more than the 
Judeo-Christian one? Is is it there much, so much more understandable? And I mean, if you're going to invent a god, you might as well invent one that, that has the characteristics that. Well, exactly. I mean, you, the Greeks looked at the world and they saw the world was was majestic and beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, stunningly perfect and in, 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 remarkable. But it was also deeply violent and cruel and mm. unjust and capricious. And therefore, whoever made it <laughs> must be those things too, a yeah. mixture of. Yeah. And it's that mixture. It's the idea of the the complexity and the ambiguity of character that the Greeks seem to be the first, at least the mm. first to be able, because of the alphabet and so on, the first to be able to transmit it to us, to have this sense of the complexity of things. But um, uh, the Greek creation myth, as you probably know, Prometheus made yes. us. Um, and... He was a titan, uh, and as you said, they're, they're wonderful, and uh, but you, and you can play with them, and you can teach them mm. what you like, but you mustn't give them fire. That's the one thing you mustn't do. And Prometheus, in the end, couldn't help it. We were defenseless compared to other animals. We didn't have, you know, echolocation or claws or stings <laughs> or, you know, things like other animals have. We were poor, naked, forked mm. little creatures. So he went up to Olympus and stole fire from heaven and gave it to us. Now, you can say that that was one way of the Greeks saying it. Literally, how do we have fire? The the, the physical stuff, sure. the, the, the the rolling plasma that melts and smelts and mm. and and roasts and toasts. But it's also the divine fire, self consciousness. The, the 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 and Zeus was right in the sense to say man mustn't have it because if we had it, we would then eventually outgrow the gods. We wouldn't need them. We'd match them and we'd be free of them as the Greeks were, as humans are. We 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 you know. It was well before Nietzsche that we could say, you know, yeah. the gods are dead, that their fire is out, yeah. we've, we've got it now. But what's so fascinating, and how could the Greeks have known this, you wonder, <laughs> is all those thousands of years ago, that we can be sure by the end of this century there will be sapient, sentient creatures that we as Prometheuses have made. Mm -hmm. And some people like Zeus will say, we cannot give them fire. We, we're already talking about that. Yes, we, you know, if we make these robotic uh, bio, mixtures of bio-augmentation and robotics sure. and AI and all the rest of it, if, if, if we make them, we, we can't give them that spark. We can't give them self-consciousness and the ability to, you know, inspect themselves and to want to live in the way that, you know, mm -hmm. self-consciousness gives you. Because if we do, they won't need us. Yes. And, and we will be overcome. And, of course, we're not the first to notice the Promethean myth being that important. Um, by the end of the 18th century, when, you know, the, the Enlightenment had really taken hold, it, it was as if we were saying, ah, yes, the Greeks understood that the champion was Prometheus, that the gods are our enemies. The gods didn't want us to be completely fulfilled, self-thinking creatures. And Prometheus set us free by giving us the fire. And, and within about three months of each other, Beethoven had written a Prometheus overture yeah. and Shelley had written Prometheus Unbound because <laughs> Prometheus gets punished, of course. Sure, of course. It's about his dialogue yeah. with Zeus. Uh, um, and more importantly, really, uh, Shelley's wife, Mary Shelley, had written Frankenstein, yeah. subtitled A Modern Prometheus, about creating a, a, a life. So we've understood that the the deep relevance, the, the chime, the resonance of Greek myth inside our own feelings, and of course, someone like Douglas Adams would say this has happened all many, many times before <laughs> that, that the gods had been made by previous <laughs> gods, gods yes. who had given them fire, and that was their mistake, and so on, and so on, and so on, and, yes. and for all we know, that 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 will continue. That we make a race of robots who get rid of us yes, because we're unnecessary now. 
uh, are, uh, the, and they will then create another life form which will go, we don't need you, yes. and so on. Maybe that's part of the well, wider the, refinement. Of, I, I like to think the only difference is that they'll have a, that they'll be in that society, there'll be a debate between evolution and intelligent design, and they'll be right about <laughs> intelligent design. Whereas, whereas, yes, <laughs> exactly. It'll be the first time that <laughs> intelligent design has become the fact. Yeah. Exactly. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, not wonderful thoughts, I couldn't have asked you to, I'm, I'm glad you stressed Prometheus. I was going to go into Orano, so I learned mm. something remarkable about from you. But but Prometheus leads me to a, I'm not sure a wonderful segue, but nevertheless a very current one. Mm -hmm. Boris Johnson just described Brexit in terms of Prometheus. Did you know did this? Did I miss that? What did he oh, say? Oh, oh, he said that, oh, it's, it's a wonderful quote just two days ago, that, that the that the whole process of 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 getting Brexit is like eating the liver forever, and it was a oh, oh see the punishment and, and, and of Prometheus. Yes, yeah. and so I thought I asked you to torment of Prometheus. To, yes, yes, Prometheus to, was punished by Zeus yeah, for the impertinence yeah. of stealing fire, and he was chained, shackled yeah. to the Caucasus Mountains, and yeah. every day an eagle came to tear open his side and eat his mm -hmm. liver in front of him, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Titans being immortal, yeah. the liver would regrow and the torture would would be re renewed every day, and I guess that's what. Though it's, that also is interesting, isn't it? Because they chose the liver. And it's, did the Greeks know that the liver is the only one of the organs that mm -hmm. actually does regenerate? Yeah, that's interesting. So isn't I have no interesting? idea. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, that's a cheek on the part of uh, Boris, I know it is. Isn't it? I was hoping you could put him down for it, but maybe not. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, he's just uh, doing what he always does. He's just uh, giving a bit of classical knowledge, but it's not the context is all wrong because... Um, is he Prometheus in this? Is the, well, is the British trying, I was trying body to politic Prometheus? I was I, that was my assumption, that somehow he was relating himself to Prometheus. He was going to give, yeah. give the fire by removing from us from, from Europe. But I, I assume there was yeah. that incredible conceit. But, yeah. but he doesn't say that. It was really more the torture it was just that would the go, torture on, for, go on yeah. forever. And, yeah. uh, well, he's, uh, Prometheus is liberated by Heracles, the, or Hercules, yeah. as the Romans called him. So he is freed. There are two, you know, it's interesting. There are two... There are two People who are tortured in one way or another, well, there may be more, the two that I know of that are tortured for eternity. Prometheus is one, but the other, of course, which always is related to me, maybe because of Camus, but but of Sisyphus. Sisyphus, yeah. Yes, and, and Sisyphus, I, I do like to think Sisyphus was smiling. <laughs> I, but it'd be nice. It'd be nice Sisyphus to, was a great trickster. He was a magnificent. He cheated death several yes, times. And yes, yes. As you say, punished for pushing that stone up the hill. And, and it's the pushing, though. That's the point. The you said the work. Yeah. It the is. work, it's the work that's the joy. It's it is. It's the searching. It's not the getting there. At least, even in for me, again, science. Browning. We've quoted him once, but that a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? Exactly. Isn't you that... know what? That I, I, I couldn't ask you. <laughs> that's the next thing I was going to. I, I have the, here. You are. Here's that oh. quote from you right here. Oh, really? This, so it is. It's, yeah. it's, 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 there it is. Good heavens. Yeah. Yep. From and, Friday, and, but, Polypi, but, I think, but, isn't it? But you, it's but, a favorite quote, didn't it? Yeah, but then you said, and I was about to talk about poetry, and in mm. that very quote, you say Robert Browning's cry brings us back at last to poetry, mm -hmm. and <laughs> and and you wrote a marvelous book about about learning about how about poetry and how to understand and appreciate. Which I, I have to say, uh, I need to digest more. Um, mm. I've always uh, there are many things about myself as a as a heathen that I uh, <laughs> that I recognize. Part I like to blame some of it on my upbringing, but but that I've never appreciated poetry as much as I should, or opera. Um, mm. And um, but you you write it at the early on in this book. For me, the private act of writing poetry is songwriting, confessional, diary keeping, speculation, 
problem-solving, storytelling, therapy, anger management, craftsmanship, relaxation, concentration, and spiritual adventure all in one inexpensive package. I, <laughs> I just love that. I love that. Um, yeah. So, But what made me, when I read that, the interesting thing I was wondering was, is it, uh, I know you, you say you write poetry, but mm. is it, which do you prefer more, writing it or reading it? Oh, reading it, because there are so many poets much better than I am <laughs> to, 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 uh, to enjoy. Uh, and the writing of it, yeah, is a pleasure. And I, I catch up with it. I go for weeks and weeks, months sure. and months without writing any poetry. And then I'll suddenly just write some things. And that's very much a private pleasure. But... The, the point of the book is called The Ode Less Traveled, yeah. and it's a, oh, it's a wonderful pun, of course. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but it is the. It was also my delight in form. Yes. Um, and it, it's a strange thing, but when it comes to painting and music, for example, no one questions that you should be taught um, in music, you know, what a chord is. What, yeah. what, 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 you know, what, a, what, what a, we say in England, a minim or a crotchet, you say yeah. a, a half note or a quarter note yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know a diminished seventh here or a g seventh there or you know that you you learn and it's part of the initiation into music um it shouldn't be too frightening if it's all done by a terrible school teacher who who makes you feel guilty about the rudiments of classical music then it can be a bit off-putting but it can be a friend with a guitar saying hey this is d major mm -hmm. and look if you go from d major to a it's you get this sort of sound and you can just flatten this note with it and then you go wow and then he says they call that you know and you go oh i see why is oh, 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 oh right and then and no one questions it. But if you say to someone, this is a, a, a villanelle and this is a sonnet, they go, oh, God, we're in the schoolroom here. But, yeah. And it, it, it's a strange thing. But because partly people think poetry is just you put your feelings down on paper. Uh -huh. And I'm not saying that, that, that I don't love blank verse, and um, uh, which is, you know, ordered verse, but more in, partic in particular free verse. Mm -hmm. Walt Whitman, a lot of T.S. Eliot and so on is free verse in as much yeah. as it's not formal. It, it doesn't have the same line lengths. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't express itself yeah. in according to um, a metrical scheme. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, but you can't talk about it. Whereas you can say to someone, this is a, a um, this is Ottava Rima. This is a form that has these lines. It ends in a couplet, and the couplet has two more syllables than the other lines. And, and here's an example of it from Byron, for example. Or this is Tetsurima. This is Dante. You know, this is a different form. This is rhyme royal. You know, this is uh, this is a sestina, which is a very complex form. And and though I think they're thrilling. It's a bit mm. like going back to the codes. It's oh, this is a. They, they don't restrict it, as Robert Frost said, who was a great American poet, but a formal poet, in, other, in, in that he wrote within forms rather sure. than free verse. Um, he said, I can't write without it. It would be like, to me, like playing tennis without a net, oh. you know? And, and, and Wordsworth wrote about it too, you know, the, the scanty plot of ground, which he called the sonnets thing. It, mm -hmm. it, but you can grow better. For, you know, if you say to someone, here's an open field, uh, play a game, you think, I don't know what to do. But if you say, here's a little courtyard with lines on it, mm -hmm. you could instantly, you'd make yeah, up sure. a game and you'd play sure. according to rules and it would have a structure and it would have drama and form and dialect, dialectic and, you know, meaning. And I think we're all a bit 
afraid of that. We think form, as I say... We so do. it's the form, okay. It's the form, so that's what attracts you most about free verse. Well, the it's, it's why I wrote the book, because you yeah. can't write a book about free verse. Yes, yes. I mean, definitely. it then becomes a book about appreciating Whitman or appreciating Eliot or, or just yeah, about... Yeah, it's funny because those... Are, I tried to think of the poets just to show I'm not a complete even that I like <laughs> it. You know, and Eliot is one. Dylan Thomas is another, mm. by the way, because I just like the sound of it. Well, Dylan and, Thomas is an example of this, of a really complex uh, form called the Villanelle, and, and, and that's what um, one of his most famous poems, do not go gentle into this yes, good night, yeah, is yeah. a villanelle. And ah. if you look at the way the lines repeat, it's a very intricate and clever pattern, extraordinary pattern. Um, but you, you shouldn't be aware of it any more than you have to know when listening to the moonlight yes. what a sonata is. It's, it's, uh, it's up to the composer to follow the form, and the form, for some reason, lights things in your brain and makes an emotional journey all the richer than a lack of form seems to. Not always, and yes, I'm not. Okay. You know, the, the book wasn't a, 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 an attack on free verse. It was merely that I think we don't treasure enough the beauty of form. Well, I, that, I want to learn. I want to go into it more. I, I wanted to sit with you sometime for two hours mm. because I, I, I once had a, a fancy position at Harvard, and and um, it was mostly involved fancy dinners <laughs> and 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 uh, is something called the Society of Fellows, and and. Um, nice. And um, early on, uh, there were senior fellows. I was a junior fellow, and and uh, with, interesting name. But um, and and there were a number of physicists. There were, yeah. there were intellectuals, and then there were physicists. Right. <laughs> were there. And and because it was from all fields, and and there was one of the senior fellows was one of the world's experts on poetry. And um, I, you know, I was drinking, and 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 I wanted to have a little fun. And uh, early on, I I said to her, I. Um, I said, the, my problem with poetry is if people have something to say, why don't they just write it down? <laughs> and, if, and and she never, and for three years, which is how long I was there, never never spoke to me again. But I, <laughs> She obviously thought you were a terrible philistine or something. Well, I was wondering, but I, you know, and, I think and that the, was sort of my, my joke about It's an interesting point. Poetry. It's a compression. It's an idea. It's... Um, uh, talking of Harvard, I think he was Harvard. Jane, uh, the, the, the origin of consciousness and I, the breakdown I, of the bicameral I, I, mind. Yes, you know, I that think book? so. Yeah, yeah, I know the book. Um, and he talks about how Homer and uh, and the post-Homeric literary tradition suddenly had the ability to create metaphor. That for mm -hmm. the first time, two different frames of reference, two different fields, two different magisteria in human yeah. experience could be fused, so that you could. Um, you could talk about um, a ship plowing through the sea and, and, and not go, but plows are the earth. Yes. How can that happen? What, what, why is a plow? Because suddenly it brings a, an image to your head that in, enhances and, and, yeah. and that this gets stronger and stronger, these fusing of different, different fields of, of, of reference. And um, poetry does that extraordinarily. And I mean, here's an example in Greek myth of a poetic idea. This is what poetry can do, but it's also what myth can do mm -hmm. poetically. Poet it's just the Greek word for making, incidentally, mm -hmm. poetry. Yes. Ah, but okay. um, in the early Greek myths, there were the Titans, and mm -hmm. most people have heard of them, yeah. and the, the, they were, like, like the gods, six female and six male, the mm -hmm. original Titans. And one of the original females was called Mnemosyne, which is spelled M-N-E-M-O-S-Y-N-E, -E, Mnemosyne, <laughs> uh, which is the Greek word for memory. Uh, you can remember mnemosyne by thinking of the, the <laughs> by thinking of the mnemonic mnemonic <laughs> because mne but um, Zeus of course had his Zeus had his way with mnemosyne as Zeus always did and and she bore him nine daughters and those nine daughters we call the muses 
and they stand as patrons to the different arts, Cleo for history and Calliope for epic poetry and Euterpe and Terpsichore and Polyhymnia and Melpomene and Thalia and Urania and so on. And there are nine of them. Yes. And they are the arts. Uh, that's fine. But then you suddenly think, oh, the collective unconscious of the Greeks in expressing this myth, is it saying the arts are the daughters of memory? And suddenly that's a poetic phrase. Mm. Out of myth, out of the... The collective unconscious, as Jung called it. You know, this idea yeah. that, the, that myths, to some extent, explain. They have an etiological function, to, to, to some extent. Sure. And, um, and here, the arts are the daughters of memory. That's a, it's not easy to parse. Yes. It, it's, it's, it, but it, it, and it's not necessarily a, a complete truth about the arts, but mm. a lot of what the arts are is a reassembling, a reimagining of, of experience and thought and emotion and so on. And, 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 and it's a, an actual truth. Now, they've, they've you know, to, to reverse engineer it, they've yeah. said, okay, we've got these things called arts. Where yeah. did they come, come from? from? We'll yeah, make yeah, these. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how. Yeah. We don't know the mystery of it. But it's, that's when... Joseph Campbell, who's not someone I necessarily have a great deal of truck with, or certainly, you know, you know yeah. what I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the mythographer. Yeah. Um, he, he did have a good phrase for myths, which is public dreams. And poems are, are to that extent, public dreams. They, they can collide images and thoughts in ways that, that rational and, you know, ordinary writing and communication don't do. They can express things logically and in complex ways and, you know, with all kinds of nested uh, subclauses sure. and, uh, uh, you know, uh, riders and so on. But poetry forms a collision. Um, this is a great story of Keats when he was young. He was... Um, he, was was called a Cockney by those who dis, you know who disliked him because he was, in other words, he came from a rather poor background compared yeah. to Lord Byron yeah. and others. <laughs> although Byron loved Keats, um, and he was studying to be an, an apothecary, a pharmacist, mm -hmm. as we'd say now. And but there was a person in Islington where he was growing up who who taught him poetry on the side because he could see he was a talented boy. He really was very young then, as you know. He died incredibly young, and there was one moment where. Um, he was teaching him some Milton and Keats suddenly almost burst into tears. It was just a, th a three-word phrase, that w w what might be technical, the kenning, in, in, which was the sea-shouldering leviathan. A leviathan is just a, a fancy word for a whale. Um, and he saw that phrase, sea-shouldering, and he said, in that instant, I saw the streams of water coming off the whale. I heard the sound of it breaking the water. And I realised but whales don't have shoulders. And yet the work those words were doing, just those words, sea-shouldering leviathan, the whole image was born in my head and I knew what poetry was. And, and I think that's worth... That, yes. there was, that epiphany that tells you a lot about well, you, how poetry works. You surprised me when you talked about form as your first example of why, mm. of, of, of poetry, because, I, I, because of your love, love of language... The, the very joke I made at Harvard, I thought it had a, had a deeper purpose, which is that I thought maybe you liked poetry because the cleverness is hidden within, in some sense. It's, it because you're not just writing it down, you have to be more creative in utilizing language to hide and coax out the reality. But Yeah, well, it, it, I mean, it's an art form. It's yeah. an art form, and, and the, the purpose, uh, it's always... 
it's never what you think. Um, it's the senses that make mm-hmm. it not. It's what comes in, not what goes out. Uh, and so, you know, like if you can't draw, you look at an artist, you think, what is it with their hands? Yeah. But it's not their hands, it's their eyes. The hands can do it. Yeah. If you can write, you're drawing. Yeah. You know, you are yeah. reproducing sure. symbols in, in a way that is recognisable to people. That's drawing. But it's... You talk to any artist, it's how you look. There's a great story of Cezanne uh, sitting and having a meal somewhere in the south of France with someone, and the friend said, do you think, uh, Paul, that you look at uh, tomato, like the tomato in your dish, in a different way (laughs) to the way that other people look at the tomato? And Cezanne looked at the tomato, and then he started laughing. He said, oh, it's funny. He said, I can... um, I can look at it just as a tomato on my plate, and then I can look at it as a painter, and I I have two ways of looking. And now I'm looking at it, Uh and now I want to paint it because I'm looking at it. (laughs) And and I just thought that's brilliant. And and a musician too. It's about it's about listening. It's about hearing. It's you know that's why the story of Mozart being able to reproduce Allegri's Miserere when he was you know note for note because he could hear, Um, and and uh, and and with language, you see, you can go to a shop and buy acrylic paints, oil paints, you can buy turpentine and linseed and sable and brushes and hogshead brushes and there's equipment yeah. and canvases and so on. And with music, there's obviously violins and trumpets yeah. and guitars and so on and there's a language for it. But the only language of language is language and it's the same language I'm using to you now. It's the same language people use to order up a pizza. It's the, it's the, the, the how, as Elliot put it, to purify the dialect of the tribe, to, to, to make a paint out of the words that are used commonly and routinely by everyone, the, 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 that, that's what a poet does. And when it works, ordinary words, because they, they can't use specialised words, words, if yeah. they just suddenly yeah. start... Invented their own language. Yeah, inventing <laughs> them or using, you know, real sort of uh, $30 words. Then as, as some philosophers do, Yeah. <laughs> and, but when they can make new images burst mm-hmm. in your mind or new truths available or you see something for the first time in the in the same way that you look at a turner and say now i see what the the sun the sun and the sea together can do he's made me look at it in a new way and the poet can make you look at love or a sunset in the new way as well because they found ordinary words but they put them together and they've beautified they've rarefied the language they have uh, as 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 Eddie put it, purify the language of the tribe out of this stony sure. rubbish, as he puts it. You 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 make something great. That's the unity of art and science. Mm. The purpose is to force us to see ourselves and our place in the cosmos in a new way. That's yes. really what science for me. That's in some ways the that's what makes science worth it. And yeah. just like art and music and literature, it's not it's, it's not the tools, it's not the technology, it's no. not the computers, it's not the but the, the elementary building blocks of matter mm-hmm. and the elementary building blocks of language can can combine in ways yes. such as every linguist knows and most people logically know that this sentence I'm giving to you now has never been spoken before, ever, uh, Lawrence. It hasn't. Yeah, yes. And yet it's simple words. And yes. it's the same with the 88 notes of on a piano keyboard, you know, that, 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 that you could sit there and instantly out of those just 88, you know the power of numbers, yes. yeah. uh, you can make a sound within seconds that has never before penetrated the ear of humankind. And similarly, the universe can play tricks with most elemental building blocks to make complexities such 
as the human brain on the one hand it's so, or a banana. And it's so <laughs> remarkable. It's yeah. such an orgasmic experience to, for anyone to realize that these complex phenomena is understood. You suddenly yeah. see it in a new way. And it, that's right. we're hardwired to get pleasure from because that. Because we do the same thing. Yeah. We make our universes of language out of the atoms of, yes. of, 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 of a discrete unit of language, like a t or a w or, or the letter yes. on the page. We can build a poem or a, a hamlet or 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 uh, um, the protocols of the elders of Zion. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's morally there's no moral valency. It, it, yeah. it, it can be wicked. It can be it can be you know well, Mein Kampf, or it can be. But uh, the, the same as the same for the tools of science. Precisely. Say, and you know it's uh, and actually Stephen Pinker gives a good example. He says you know people people claim science. You know physicists made the atomic bomb, but they don't they don't hate architects, although they had to make the, the uh, Auschwitz. Precisely. Yeah, Absolutely I, right. Yeah, Indeed. Yeah. And you don't uh, hate linguists be, or, or, or speakers because they're capable of doing the uh, Nuremberg rally or... Uh, well, for, I want to go, I want to now move from the peaks, from the peaks of human mm-hmm. intellectual activity down to the depths. <laughs> <laughs> Les so, bas profonds. Yes, yeah, so I want to start. We want to talk about science, humanism, and ultimately religion, mm. <laughs> so, and which which we have both have very similar views about. Mm. Um, there's a there's a wonderful line in in uh, the X Files, which is not my favorite TV show, but nevertheless, <laughs> which is which is what Fox Mulder always says: "We want to believe." Yes, we want to believe. Yes. We we all want to believe things. We're hardwired to believe in things, mm. and. That um, that is not itself necessarily bad. I think uh, you, there's a great indirect description of religion. You said old people don't know. You, so old mm. people, so you tend people become often become more religious as they get older. You said old people don't know that in the world today there's no one there. They don't know that the Bible is a customer service announcement, and that purgatory is where Saint Peter puts you on hold and sends you into a self-contained menu-driven loop of tone-button-operated eternity to the sound of Vivaldi's spring. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually... <laughs> I don't know if you... I mean, isn't it funny to remember that you actually wrote yeah. these things? <laughs> well, you know, th- there is, of course, an impulse. Wh- whenever we don't understand uh, mm. a force, mm. uh, in the earliest days, it would be the moon and the sun, mm. and we would give it an agency, and yeah. the name we give such agencies is a god. Yes. So there was a moon god and the sun god, and there was a god of pushing leaves out of branches of trees. Who, who, Any force, any motion that we don't understand. And then, of course, force and motion and the understanding of force and motion is your business and is the business that Galileo and, uh, and, and Newton were famous for, literally, mm. the moving mm. of things. Sure. The, 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 the prima mobile, the, the prime mover is... The key to it. The, it's the, the realizing the motion. So you, yeah. you hit it. You see, be a great yeah. physics student because most <laughs> no, really, because one of the things when I talk about introductory physics is the difference between Galileo and Aristotle is Aristotle thought position was important. Yeah. Galileo realized it was motion, motion. and that's the, that, that right. simple realization yeah. was the creation of modern physics. Yes, and 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 what is the agency behind that movement? Uh, and and of course. If you don't know and you're not prepared to do the hard thinking that science involves or, or you choose to disbelieve science for some mm-hmm. weird reason, you give that agency to, to, to a deity. Yes. Uh, we still prefer to... Uh, well, I think These it's, days it's a single deity, unfortunately, but well, it, it was more yeah, fun yeah, when it was... Uh, it was much more fun than more, and they're much yeah, nicer when there's a lot of them. Exactly. Yeah, I agree, I agree yeah. with you. But it's more than that. I think it's... Well, maybe I'm more pejorative. That you, you, It's where you stop working. It's yes. when you start, I say, I don't want to think about this anymore, so I'll just, it's mm. God. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm more hesitant than you, I think, or our mutual de- departed friend, Christopher Hitchens. 
I cut more slack to the individually pious and devout individuals mm. in the world. I have no wish to offend them or to make them... I don't think he them... did either, actually. No, I don't think yeah. he did particularly. You know, and I, I always think of Flaubert, you know, his, his Trois Contes, the three mm. stories of Flaubert. There's yeah. one called Le Coeur Simple, The Simple Heart. Mm-hmm. And it's this this woman, Felicity, she's called, which I think is an ironic title, Happiness. She's a, she's a hard-working mm. maid, mm-hmm. bonne, um, and she sits in front of a, a, a stained-glass window and looks at it. And... Flaubert, Flaubert's contempt for the cardinals and the prefecture of cardinals and the, and, and, the, and the panoply and hierarchy of the church that keeps her on her knees is profound, but his love and sympathy for her on her knees being awed by the colour and the excitement and the possibility of what religion offers is, is deep. And, and I understand that, you know, I, I think... I don't want to shake people and say, don't you stare at that stained glass yeah, window, yeah, don't yeah, sing those yeah. hymns, how dare you? It's not my business. Uh, well, it's, I, mean, it's, it's, yeah. I have to th- speak as I find when it you, comes to the truth behind yeah. it, which is important. Is, but the wonder, the sense of wonder, wonder is, is, is for yeah. celebrating. And I guess the, I guess my always point about religion is that there are many positive things, yeah. as we both agree. But the question is, can you achieve those positive things without, yes. without the negative and, ones? And Richard Feynman did, did wonderful... You remember talking about the, the flower, when yeah. having an argument with an artist yeah, yeah. saying, I find the flower more beautiful yeah. than you do. You just... You know, you, you mm. sort of find it beautiful, mm. then you go into all its stamens yeah, yeah. and its atoms. And he's, and Richard Feynman said, well, no, but don't you see? I get, you, I get the beauty of the flowers as, as the colours and the aesthetic shape, I, but I also get the beauty of the symmetry inside its cells. I get the symmetry of its genes. Yeah. I get, I get the, the beauty of its transport systems and its, its, its you know, its chemical f- reactions I and know. its factory, the whole thing. I get more. More, not exactly. Less. In fact... <laughs> You see, I have Feynman written here. Oh, and then right now it's, it's so no, it's we're, amazing. We're just we're on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. Literally, well, but in interestingly case. enough, I also had Feynman t- in in the sense of you said something independently that was almost exactly the same thing. I mean, Feynman talked about the flower, mm-hmm. about a rainbow. Ra- you said a rainbow isn't less beautiful because I understand how it works, yeah. right? And you said rationalizing a sunset doesn't make it any less beautiful. You said it in the mm-hmm. hippopotamus. Oh, that's right. Yes, and and, and which is a wonderful. What, what I liked. I like the book, mm-hmm. and I like the movie, yeah. um, uh, because it was a wonderful way of addressing this fact that we want to believe, yeah. and how can you gently show people that they're really misinterpreting the world, that there's actually a, a different explanation, which may be more illuminating, more useful yeah. in the long run, as, there, as it was in this case, to learn about the nature of the, of, yeah. of the two, two young men. Absolutely. And, and to learn the reality. That's the point. It's not that it's not a beautiful way of seeing the world, but what ultimately leads you to useful actions versus yeah. irrational actions? And, and that's and my a, problem. A greater depth of engagement uh, in, in the world around mm-hmm. you. And what we really have an objection to, of course, are the, are the, the power wielders of it, is, mm-hmm. is the, the priestly caste that decides it has knowledge that is special, that has revealed knowledge that is, cannot be questioned, that is, that is a truth that doesn't need to be proven and um that will set you free and that without it you are in some way damned and 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 the people who are most likely to be controlled by that are the most vulnerable are the poorest are those with the least education and who are denied any sense of it, of education or uh, an option of looking into the true depth and wonder of the world because it seems religion wants to count its souls, and 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 there we know what the dangers. Yeah, are. oh, that there's those yeah. dangers, but there are so, and those are the obvious ones, I guess. Yeah. That, but there are the more subtle ones, and I think that that in some sense, I, and again, I had this debate with with Chomsky at one point. He said to me early on, "I don't 
care what people think, it's what they do. Mm. The problem is there's an intimate relationship between what people think and what they do, and that's, yes. the, that's the problem of religion, it seems to yeah. me. It's not that, uh, I mean, I find, not that it's silly. Mm. And it, 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 it's that accepting that silliness causes people to do irrational and sometimes evil actions. So yeah. th there's that part. But then going to Hitchens, there's a quote which I thought was from Hitchens, but like many things, it wasn't, I suppose. But um, mm. where, where I heard him say, you know, we're, we're, we're created sick and commanded to be well. I've learned mm. since then it was a 16th century quote from a, from a name, Fouquet Geville, maybe uh, you know the pronunciation. Mm. He said, you were created sick, yeah. but commanded to be sound. I learned that it came from that. So, yeah. but, it, but I first learned it from, from, yeah. from Christopher. This once more, this the sense we, have to, be, idea, we yes. have to be ashamed of ourselves. Yes, this, this sense of shame, yeah. which is so ingrained in religion, is, is in my mind one of the, well, especially in the, in the, in, in, in the Judeo-Christian religion, but particularly mm. that, that is one of the more insidious and, and evil aspects. That yes, we that we have to square the circle of that. that, that we, we, we accept the, the preposterous nature, or at least we, we, we at least agree on that, that yeah. the original sin idea, the, yeah. the, 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 the thought that we're supposed to believe that we're guilty, we should be ashamed. But on the other hand, we also have spoken of, uh, without using his name yet, Plato, yeah. or the idea that there is a perfection out there that we have not attained, that we cannot attain. Mm -hmm. And that Browning quotation about that a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for, pushing forward of knowing that we are imperfect. By definition, perfection isn't that which cannot be yeah. achieved, but that there are paradigms of perfection. There's a, there is a thing called truth, mm -hmm. and there is a thing called a shining moral ethical life that we gesture towards, but we haven't got it. We are imperfect, but the, the imperfection is not uh, a stain on us from birth. It's merely that we're given a a, a, a sense of the ineffable and the, uh, yeah. and the inexpressible in ourselves, a pattern of something beyond, which is the what Plato imagined, that there is this... Yes. Um, and it's a notional thing. He's not the Plato I don't think believed that there was this sort of parallel universe in which everything was perfect. But that if you have it in your head, then I like the idea that I should be better than I am. Yes. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's because rejecting original sin is not the same as saying, well, we can just accept exactly who we are because we're perfect, we're born fine, and I don't have to struggle to express myself, to fulfill myself more than, you know, we know that we fail. We know that we do fall yeah. short yes. of some standard that may be acculturated, but may also be programmed, may be hardwired. And like most of those questions, I, my, my, my terrible joke is, you know, we're, we're, we're used to the idea that the, the nature-nurture debate, you sure. know, um, but we forget that there's also the question of human will. So I say it's nature-nurture and Nietzsche. <laughs> but, but you know but i think awful as that is it, it, there is a truth in there that that not that i would go along with nietzsche and sure. superman and all the rest yeah. of it but the, the the will to power or anything but but that most philosophers don't believe there is such a thing as free will mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean there isn't will um we can't will ourselves to have will, as Schopenhauer mm. has said. Yeah. And we certainly don't, you know, uh, we don't will ourselves to be, uh, 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 you know, we, the way we're born is not something we can will mm -hmm. uh, and, and how we're, uh, where we're born or any of those questions. But whether or not we are forged more by nature, more by nurture, we still have 
agency over our actions, which is not the same as free will, but is... Yeah, well, no, it, well, it's, it's a, a, well, we it's can a model, take a long time. It, you're quite... Are we, uh, you know, even in a world without without free will, we still have to take responsibility. Responsibility, that, exactly. That, I think that's yeah. the key point, because we it, it, it appears to be a world... With, like yeah. it, it's funny because... It, one of my favorite quotes, I was with, well, as you were, but I was with Christopher a little while before he died. And mm. I was re- and I was sitting in his kitchen and, and I was reading the New York Times and there was a wonderful article about how students at Yale, they were working hard, there were religious groups that, to try and stop students at Yale from, from losing their religion. And they said, faced with, um, faced with beer pong, Hitchens and Nietzsche, it's impossible. <laughs> and, and I said... He would have loved that. Yeah, he did. I said, how much more can you have achieved in life to be sandwiched between beer pong and Nietzsche? It's, it's, there's nothing better. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. And, but, but nevertheless, I, I would be remiss. One of, to me, I assume will go down in one of the most important quotes you've given is when people ask you what you'd come say face to face with God. And I have to read it because mm, it's so okay. important. Because, mm. well, it relates to the Greek myths too, but you, you said you'd say, oh, I should let you read it. But anyway, bone cancer children, what about that? How dare you? How dare you create a world where there's such misery that's not our fault? It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? And, um, and yes, I mean, this was a surprise question I got from yeah. an interview I was giving in, in Ireland, actually. He just said, well, suppose you're wrong, Stephen, in the end. Yeah. And, you know, you die and then you wake up and there is God. What would you say to him? Yeah. And so I thought, well, that's what I'd say. I'd say, how dare you? What was there, bone cancer in children? What are you thinking of? You know, I mean, even if you accept these free will ideas and that it's up to us and that God is, you know, wound the clock on humanity and is for some bizarre reason, decided to, to watch his little creations jig about and judge them according to the way they behave, which is outrageous anyway. Even if you accept that, that doesn't explain people, children dying in earthquakes, which is plate tectonics, which you can't even <laughs> put down to global warming. I mean, that's just the way yeah. he yeah, made yeah, the planet. Yeah, yes. you know? and, and, uh, but that's an old thing, the argument from evil, it sure, used to be sure. called, as you know, theodicy is, I believe, the grand name for that form of the- theological argument. And it's a very difficult one to answer if you maintain that there is a single God who is benevolent. Yes. Right? Um, because it just doesn't stand up. And it's it's... It's that hypocrisy. You see, that's yeah. what, I, I mean, uh, what's interests me is because w- comparing it to the Greek gods, mm. the the wonderful thing about the Greek gods was people expected the gods to because do awful things. Because they were vain and lustful yeah, and, 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 and jealous. Yeah, and the, and the Judeo-Christian <laughs> god is exactly the same, but we yeah. have to accuse him because, or her, because he, they're represented as being exactly the opposite yeah, of what they actually right. are. And so we spend our time on our knees apologizing yeah. for our yeah. faults, but, but ignoring his or hers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It is yeah. preposterous. It, it, it's it's it, a shame. Because, you know, I have to say, I love sacred music. Yeah. I love Talis and Bird and Bach and Handel. I love I love uh, arch- sacred architecture. I love the, the English hymnal. I love the the liturgy of the Anglican sure. Church. There's so much. I mean, in the same way that I love Greek myths. Yeah. It doesn't mean I believe in them. Yeah. But I believe that, that ritual... And ceremony are very important parts of being human. Absolutely. And, and I think they express in, in a visual, dramatic, metaphorical form much of what it is to be alive. And like a, a kind of 
theatre, a theatre yeah. of ideas and emotions and instincts and yeah. impulses. And that's a very important thing for us to do. It's, it's our natural way of it's expressing. It's part of being human. Exactly. And that's why religion, I think, is so ubiquitous. I, yeah. I, and again, when I talk about how can we achieve the goal, the, 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 the things that religion provides without religion, mm. I, 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 my, my saying is that we should have Sunday morning quantum mechanics classes <laughs> myself. But every, yeah, and without the eschatology, yeah, with, with, without yeah, the idea that, yeah. the, the, uh, as the Greeks... The, one of the great things about the Greeks is that they knew anybody who said definitively what happens to a human being after they're dead is either a fool or a liar, <laughs> yeah. because there has never been one who's returned come, come back. to tell the story, yeah. and there is no place to visit. Yeah, you know, and the original ideas that sort of vents and flumes that uh, were showing a bit of lava might have been the gateway to hell. We now know yeah. are just a gateway to a very hot, <laughs> very hot part I of was, the world. It, it, I was. Have you ever been? I was recently in, in in Vanuatu and I looked down into a volcano. It's an, it's a, I've never Isn't it? been. It's unbelievable. Have you had that experience? I, I did. I helicoptered uh, over uh, Hawaii. I did a documentary yeah. in which I went to all the states yes, of I the Union, that. and we ended in Hawaii, watching new bits of America being born right. as the lava yeah. spewed into the sea and new rock was formed. It was a great way to end. Yes. Well, before I end on religion, I had to ask you. I'm. You must be very proud. There aren't many of us. I, I want to know if it's still there, the Defamation Act, that you were accused of blasphemy. Yes. I mean, it's a wonderful... I, I actually... Someone gave me a doctorate in blasphemy, a, a, a college... Some college gave... The, the, oh, wonderful. The, and, and which I was... I have on my wall. <laughs> but you actually have been accused of it. Is it... Which you might, well, I assume is a black badge of honor in some it, way. It, well, actually, it was very Irish. Uh, and that sounds like it's almost a racist thing to <laughs> say, to, to describe something as very Irish. But uh, it was a... Um, Ireland's been reinventing itself sure. in terms of the, the, the power of the church yeah. uh, over divorce and abortion and gay rights and all the rest of it. And they've had a series of plebiscites and referendums. And, uh, and th they still have this rather old blasphemy law. So when in Ireland, as I was, I, I spoke out against God and mm -hmm. <laughs> said what a monster he was and how absurd, stupid, evil, unnecessary, cruel, and so on. Um, it was actually an Irish barrister who suggested that I might be guilty of blasphemy because he knew it would be a fantastic shit show to have yes. me in a court. Yes. <laughs> because technically I had infringed the law oh. and it would make the law look the ass that it is. Oh. And it was his way of saying, come on, Ireland, we've got to get rid of this. Oh, in, in the modern world, it's absurd. So it wasn't, he, he wasn't genuinely no, offended. But did it by lead to said. getting rid of it? it? It actually did, or at least whether, I don't know whether mine did, but he drew attention to it and... Ireland, as I say, has been busy in, in cleaning the Augean stables of its of its of its Catholic stranglehold. Yeah, and so that I think is one of the things that well, has been my, cleaned up. Friends, Steve Weinberg would say you were doing God's work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there's two more. There's two mm. more things I want to talk about quickly. One is uh, speaking as we're traveling down the road from intellectual heights. There's political correctness, mm. a group. Think mentality, which you've been, which you've, yeah. uh, which you've attacked happily, mm. um, and the notion that um, it, it's to some extent shame once again comes in here. Uh, um, mm. I was talking to Ian McEwen recently about his. He received a prize and went to Israel and and, and was oh, castigated yes. for that. Yeah, yeah. And and I know, of course, you've spoken out uh, 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 against Israel's treatment of, of Palestinians. I have, and, but, but I'm but, a, but, you know, but, uh, but I'm, I'm Jewish, and I see yeah, the yeah, I see the yeah, right for Israel yeah, to yeah, exist as yeah. a state, and I have family who live in Tel Aviv, and I'm if I want to visit them, I bloody well visit them. Yeah, I will not be told not exactly. to. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So uh, 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 let's talk a little bit about this curse of 
to, uh, the combination of, of political correctness and virtue signaling that mm. you cannot say certain things now, uh, which which is the opposite of the of of, of the Enlightenment in some sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm temperamentally a liberal, but a hand-wringing liberal, mm -hmm. a, a milk, a milk toast liberal, yeah. a, 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 an unsure, um, worried, carpet-slippered, bicardigand, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Ian Forstery sort of a, a liberal. <laughs> um, I'm not a hardline lefty. Um, I have a sympathy with a lot of social justice uh, imperatives sure. and, and, and quests and so on, but, but I just want the left to be smarter than it is. I, I want it to be aware of how it's alienating, you know, well-meaning, good people are just outraged and upset and frightened by the, the redaction of human lives, you know, a person being cast into outer darkness without trial, without due process, uh, for, for, you know, all kinds of reasons, and for the language being used carelessly. Yes. Uh, yeah, languages can be a... A ticking bomb. You can occasionally, obviously, if you start talking about people as cockroaches and so on, we're all aware of how you know racist language can 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 be a, a, a vicious precursor to racist behaviour and to blood on the streets. But but it is just language, but, you know. I I think I agreed to be on stage with Jordan Peterson at, yes. at a debate. Uh -huh. um, he's not someone I necessarily yeah. agree with in all. I, all I, agree, I was surprised, you know? but I guess I understood. Um, it was all, I, very open-minded. I draw the line at Ben Shapiro, <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. But 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 Jordan Peterson, I thought. Well, th that's the point, is exactly. to say, you know, there are things I disagree with this man on, but I do agree with him on the fact that, and from, from my point of view, it's because I actually lament the failure of the left. I think yes. the rise of Bannonism and the, the, the alt-rise and, and its equivalents across Europe is more a catastrophic failure of the left than a particular triumph of the right. It it's also bolsters, right, at least in the United it States. It bolsters it enormously. The, if you read who is protecting free speech right now, who's speaking out exactly. in favor of speech, it's the right. And, and that's it's, it's, it's not it's, as it should be. It's not it's, as it should be. We should be less sensitive, and I don't want to use the word snowflake because it's yeah. banded about, but, you know, less... And most importantly, we should think about being a, how it's more important to be effective than to be right, right in the sense of yeah. righteous and self-righteous and, and all those things. It just... Just be effective. You know, if you mm. want the world to be a better place, think about how how to deliver that. Yes. Um, and it's not by alienating people in the middle, people who are as lost and as frightened by the hard right and the alt-right and the hard left and the alt-left, if yeah. you want to call it that, yes. you know, that, that for heaven's sake, the, the, it's just so dumb. It's dumb that, to and be it's, lost and in a world where if you start talking hurts. about heteronormative patriarchies, yeah. then I'm sorry, fuck off. Yeah. You know, it's not English and it's <laughs> it's it comes from a Judith Butler world yeah. of, you know, I mean, all respect to her and I mean, mm. good work and all the rest of it. And this is not to say that we push back feminism as yeah. irrelevant. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying is choose a better language to normalise it, uh, if you want to use a norma word rather mm. than normativize it. Um, you know, it just, otherwise you are losing allies, you are losing political ground, you are not achieving what it is you want to achieve. All you are is being right. It's hugging yourself yeah, exactly. for being right. Well, good and, luck to you. But you're, lo you're losing something even more. You're losing the fact that we need to question, that that's yeah. how society moves forward, what, that we need to question ourselves yeah. um, and be op willing to openly question those things we accept as Absolutely. normal. Yeah. And, See, and, I, I do believe in, in in 
in inspecting the nature of gender and the fluidity of it. Yeah. I do believe in you know that the, the, the transgender and intersex people have been given an incredibly mm. hard time, sure. being mutilated in the case mm. of intersex people mm. without their will. And there's a lot of important social uh, and work and understanding to be done. And and uh, in the same way, that it's happened in my lifetime that my own. You know, my own gay life has mm. meant that I've suddenly ended up, as it were, being able to be married to the man I love. Yeah. And it's an incredible breakthrough. And there are many more breakthroughs to be made. But actually, in this country, when Ian McKellen and Stonewall, which is the, 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 the sort of activist group working in politics, he worked quietly behind the scenes persuading politicians. He didn't stand in the barricades getting angry and red-faced and alienating mm-hmm. ordinary people. He, he, he saw conservative politicians, and he was a conservative politician in the form of David Cameron who pushed through in the, in the face of vituperative opposition from mm. his own hard right, uh, pushed through the, the Equal Marriage Act. And that's the way you get things done. It may not be just, yeah. it, it may not be quick enough, but it's how things get done. Yeah, you know, it's a bit like engineering. It's the the third, fourth, fifth kind of version that is the one that you can release to the public that's actually going to work. But there are a lot of a lot of betas and a lot of yeah. you know false starts, and that's true in social uh, progress as well. It, well, and we have to, yeah, and if the left sort of doesn't realize, well, doesn't realize that I, I always when I find myself agreeing with Donald Trump, I get worried, and and you know when yeah. I read Donald Trump say, well, we were not going to give federal funds to universities unless they allow free speech. And that that, seems reasonable to me, actually. And then I say, oh, my goodness, if if that sounds reasonable, there's some fundamental problem. And as an academic, it's it's really Mm. unfortunate to see how people are reining in what they're talking about. Although the scientists will also appreciate that that, uh, that newspapers and politicians will choose... Uh, events and rhetoric from particular campuses to, to suggest a, a far more systemic problem right. than actually exists. Actually, exactly. If you go to the average university, there is a lot of free speech and there's a lot of give and take. Well, you know better than yeah. I do what, what the life, life on the campus is. But there's also truth behind it that it needs to be addressed. Well, one of your favorite. I want you to remind, I always screw it up as a quote about giving offense, which I want to get to. But it, it, what? let me preface that by saying one of the, to me, one of the most ironic examples of what may have been happening in academia. It was a university where a speaker was coming in to speak on free speech <laughs> and the women's group created safe zones so that, so that, uh, uh, there, so that people wouldn't be, yeah. uh, wouldn't be traumatized by, yeah. by hearing it. And that to yeah. me is the most ironic thing, but because the point is that people seem to think that being offended gives you special rights and you, you beautifully, and I don't know if you remember exactly what you said, but I remember hearing you first say that being offended doesn't give you any special rights and you know, I think I think you said something like, maybe I'm pretty sure you said something like, "Oh, I offended you, big fucking deal." Or well, something that's like. right. It is. I mean, uh, there's there's a tradition in language. I, I love Sir Humphrey Wasp in a rather uh, well, not obscure, but but the, the one not one of the better known plays of Ben Johnson, Bartholomew Fair, when he he goes around his expression if he's annoyed with someone is a turd in your teeth sir (laughs) and I want to say a turd in your teeth to these people just as when I was a boy my mother would occasionally take me to the assembly rooms in Norwich which was like stepping back into a Jane Austen world Mm -hmm. and I used to picture myself standing on a table pulling down my trousers and and pointing my bottom at these incredibly refined ladies (laughs) with their tea because they just looked as if they needed (laughs) you know to be slightly shocked out of their kind of everything is so nice and proper and and that's now the position that I feel in the case of uh, some of these sensitive, t- t- trigger-sensitive people. 
uh, in universities who say, I, I, can't, I don't want to see the Macbeth because it's got a murder of children in it or there's a rape yeah, in this play. Yeah. I want to say, a turd in your teeth! <laughs> um, you know, I, well, I, you know, it's like... Um, you know, parents who who overprotect their children from 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 va- from from viruses and, and and bacteria. You know, they they're going to get oversensitive, and it, you know, it, they should be sucking gravel well, when they're of, two. They should be playing in exactly. mud. Exactly, and that's you know? the part of the problem. If, if, there's a book over in the United States called "Coddling the American Mind." Yes, Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt, very good book. I was going to say, it, I did, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I think the point that he makes, which is so interesting, is that is that in some sense the feeling of people that they have to be protected at universities from anything that's going to hurt them comes from this overly protective yeah. parenting that's happened that didn't... When you and he you points to a very interesting... To run around yeah, and, a and, very interesting time when suddenly it, it all changed in terms of the natural age at which children be allowed out to play right. on with their bicycles with their peers. Exactly. Uh, and it, now don't cross the street, don't do yeah. this, don't do that, because you might get hurt, you might scrape yourself, you yeah. might... The world is a dangerous place right. and you have to be protected from the dangers instead of the fact the world is a dangerous place, but... But learning to live with them is part of what it means, the joy of growing up and being yes. human. It's really part and, of... I, exactly. And I was sent away at seven to a prep school where I was exactly. beaten up, bullied, interfered with, best, <laughs> bested, made humiliated. And, you know, so by the, I'm not recommending it yeah, to yeah. somebody you do to children, believe me. Mm. But it did mean that I was... I mean, I'm a sensitive person. I don't mm. like being you know, attacked or anything. Yeah. But, but I, I, I was not... I was not frightened by uh, the emotional violence of the world. Yeah. I was horrified by it because it's a bad thing. Yeah. But I, it, I didn't, I didn't get triggered into some sort of, uh, um, you know, fetal position of, of whimpering. Um, and I don't know. I don't want to sound cruel and mm. and and and. and feeling because it, it no, is a problem it, it, that it, the young people if they are afraid of encountering things or they or if the by the time they go to university it's the first time they've left home mm-hmm. and you know they can't cope with it then that's a pity well it is but i think part of what university is supposed to be about besides the i mean the academics are part of it is, is is making that transition from the safety of the home to the to the because ultimately it's supposed to prepare you for the real world in many ways in principle to prepare you for the real world in, in becoming a lifelong learner. Well, we've, all also, seen, we've all seen the toddler that falls over yeah, yeah, and yeah. then looks to the adult to see what the adult's expression is. And if the adult just is not interested, they might actually not cry. But if yeah. the adult goes, like that, then yeah. they'll go, Wah! and then they know they'll get a nice cuddle. Yeah. And, and we've all seen that. We, we all want think, to balance sensitivity yeah. with the desire. Of, I mean, exactly. a little bit of tough love and combined For those of us who've been parents, it's a, it's a, mm. it's a huge challenge to know when to not be sensitive and yeah. when to treat. Uh, my wife is much better than tough love, and I'm much. much That's often the way. Yeah, it's really. Uh, now, going back to, the, I want to end in a way because you went back to the to the your childhood experience, but I want to end with a personal thing, which I was debating whether to talk to you. But you've brought talked about mm. it publicly. Is is your own issues of suicide and mm. and, and 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 um and I, I I want to talk about it in a positive way if I can, yeah. not not the suicide in a positive way. But the notion of the challenge, the personal challenges we have, because what I said about you at the beginning of this is true in terms of uh, just uh, you're a lovely man, <laughs> but and and and, a, and as someone that I just you just melt when I'm with you. But but another person I'm like that way is 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 someone I've had a dialogue with, Johnny Depp, who's a friend of mine, mm. and, and we had a dialogue on creativity and madness mm. because he he talks about the demons yeah. in his head a lot, yeah. and they. But at the same time, they've helped him become the person he is. And so I wanted to ask mm. you about whether that, 
whether you feel in any way that 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 the two double sided yes, coin is there. W. H. Auden put it that you know didn't take away my demons or my yeah, angels will fly yeah, away yes. too. And it's very hard for us to know to have to presume to know how much we depend on these these these, these struggles within sure. ourselves for for any kind of. Uh, uh, you know, achievement or, or self-definition, and we that without them we would be blanded out into something. I mean, it's certainly true that when you face mental health problems and, and, and recognise them for the first time, a lot of us have them, as we now know, and we don't, uh, certainly in the past, maybe I hope that's changed, we're unlikely to recognise them. You know, go through, yeah. teenage is a difficult time anyway. Everyone knows it is. You could be stormy and uh, difficult and uh, hard to manage. And then... There's university and there's your early uh, early adulthood and you're introduced to alcohol and drugs and things and those have an effect on you that very often you haven't noticed why you've responded well to them. Uh, um, if, if your moods are likely to drag you down or, or to push you up into sort of mad frenzies, then you, you do reach out to, to, to chemicals that, that will control it. In yes. some way, not necessarily consciously. Yeah. You just think, "Oh, okay, I can have a drink; yeah, it'll yeah. make me feel better." Kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And then maybe you'll be lucky enough to think uh, someone will tell you you're drinking too much, or you really want to take all this cocaine. Are you sure? <laughs> um, and uh, and you'll think, "Okay, I'll stop." And then and then what's left behind is the problem that they were masking in the first place. And and then you go through the business of realizing that you have a, a condition. You have a you have a mood disorder in, in my case, mm. a bipolar disorder, and um, and that your, your chemistry or whatever it is 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 uh, out of whack a bit or can can cycle in in ways that uh, can be profoundly difficult to cope with, and the depression can lead to to lead to suicidal ideation, as they like to call it in the trade. Uh, Are you thinking about killing yourself, uh, which is obviously dangerous, but and. It has led in the past to people self-medicating with alcohol and drugs in order to suppress it. But also the mania, the hypermania, as it's called, of, of, of the upstate, what sure. used to be the manic, mm-hmm. as in manic depressive. depressive. Um, that's harder for your friends and family to deal with because you become totally, you know, you don't sleep, you're full of ridiculous plans, you, you know, all of that, you know. Um, and you've got to find a way to manage it, ideally, without drugs and alcohol because you know that they only exacerbate it, which they do. Uh, it just is, certainly in my case, they do. Um, they just make it worse. The, the alcohol becomes more and more depressing um, and you get crosser and angrier when drunk. And so, so that's just a bad thing. It's not nice to be around and it's just yuck. And, and so I went through, you know, the adventure of finding out different cocktails of, of pharmace- official pharmaceutical drugs rather than street drugs and recreational drugs. And, and then I have since been lucky enough to control it really with, with not drinking much, just a bit of social drinking here and there, but I've never been that in love with drink to, to become an alcoholic, fortunately. I gave up Coke happily without it mattering particularly, and indeed smoking, and but I've taken up walking. <laughs> I walk eight miles every every morning, and and that seems to have an effect on my mood. Oh yeah, I mean I'm I'm not going to be so the endorphins that they they, they really do. Yeah, yeah. And I know you know I'm not going to claim that it's going to work for everyone sure. because we're all different. And I well, mean, example of how different we are is we all know people who we can sit around a table and drink the same number of glasses of wine, and one person will become a monster, and another person. Will be all sentimental, another person will fall asleep, and yeah. someone else won't turn a hair. And that's 
that's the relatively simple uh, uh, chemical ingredient, you know, the esters and aldehydes of alcohol. Yes. Whereas, whereas the, the complex uh, drugs that, uh, that are given by, by f- 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 pharmaceutical companies, they can obviously have different effects on different people. So it's not for me to say lithium will work yes. for you or, or this, you know, SSRI will work for you. But when the complex drugs that are going through us and have, our own, our own uh, pharmacopoeia, which exactly. we are, we are a much more complex pharmaceutical. Yeah, the endocrines issue. and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they affect people differently. And in that sense, I want, I wanted to end this with because we actually you said it two different ways and i found it during this conversation now real may not realize we talked about shame and we talked about the fact that we we we, we know what we can become and and mm. and so the reaction one can have to it there are two quotes there's one that not from you but it, it was since i was speaking to Ian McEwen recently in his book about machines like me which is about a, yes he said, said we know what we are we know we're deficient because we know what we should be yes and so Again, it's somewhat the, the shame aspect, but in some sense, that for me, and and I imagine in, in, to some extent in, in multiplication for you in the depressive stages, is that's the source of my, of, of my insecurity is the fact that I know I'm not what I could be, mm. and um, and it's a cause of shame and de- and uh, and often depression. But at the same time, if you think of it a different way, if you're in a, and maybe if the chemicals in your brain are working differently, you have that quote of yours that we actually said. Ah, but a man's reach Mm. should exceed his grasp or what's heaven for. Mm. And so it seems to me the dichotomy between those are both different aspects of exactly the same thing. You can either be depressed about the fact you are not what you can be, or you can use it as a motivation to try and be a little more like what you can be. Exactly. I I remember once filming in the Amazon and uh, and there was a tree frog and I looked at this tree frog and of course, it's anthropomorphic, but they seem to have a smile. <laughs> yes, yeah. But, and I remember saying to it, as it was just there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen them. I've been in the Amazon. I've seen them. And, and I said, I don't know much about your life, Tree Frog, <laughs> but I can be fairly certain that last night you didn't go to bed thinking I was a terrible free, free frog yesterday. <laughs> I, I, I was awful. I was mean to those tree frogs. And I, I promised that one something that I didn't deliver. And oh, I'm just so ashamed of myself. You just. As a tree frog, you spend twenty-four hours of every day and 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 and, and sixty minutes of every hour being a tree frog. You're, you're not becoming a tree frog; you always are one. That is your privilege, your glory as an animal. But I am different. I don't know why I'm different, and I don't know that I can actually prove it. But I abs- I intuit and I sense it strongly enough to call it knowledge that I do go to bed thinking I was a bad Stephen yesterday, a bad human yesterday, I failed on this, and why did I say that? Oh, God, what was I thinking of? And shouldn't I have bothered to write that? And I didn't write that thank you letter, and I didn't. You know, there can be small little social things, or there can be vast ethical quandaries. And, and that's what that's what Genesis tried to explain as well, the Prometheus <laughs> myth tried yeah. to explain, is where do we get this thing? That, but it, it's our curse, but it's also our blessing. And and I think that's what we square as being being humans, being this species we are, and how it got there. Whether you follow the evolutionary psychology path of the where we bonded, and it's all to do with our uh, evolution, and whether it was a, a, a strange piece of firing in in a mutation that just developed, not for you know, not for for the benevolent reasons sure. of evolution, but it doesn't matter. We can just think of it, and and. Praise that, if you like. It praise that, and the fact mm. that that it's our it's our curse and our blessing at yeah. the same time. It's what makes being human 
being yeah. human and trying to understand that through art yeah. or through science. Yeah. It's the same, the same exploration, true. the same search. Yeah. And I just have to say that, you know, it's of all the people I know, your grasp is about as far as anyone's <laughs> I know. But I want you to keep thinking of the positive, Stephen, that your reach should exceed it <laughs> and not the negative, because we all need you. Thank you so very Bless much. You, it's been, a, it's been wonderful. It. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Gosh, that was fun. The Origins Podcast is produced by Lawrence Krauss, Nancy Dahl, John and Don Edwards, Gus and Luke Holwerda, and Rob Zepps. Audio by Thomas Amison. Web design by Redmond Media Lab. Animation by Tomahawk Visual Effects. And music by Rickolis. To see the full video of this podcast, as well as other bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash originspodcast.